Boundless Audio Podcast Network. That's what I do. I drink and I know things. Welcome to I Me Need More Wine, a podcast in which I talk about shows and movies with special guests while I enjoy a glass or two, or sometimes three, of wine. And some, we talk shit about shit. This is Jocelyn. And y'all, I cannot begin to, words can't express how delighted I am to be welcoming this guest back to the podcast for this conversation today. I'm so happy, delighted, thrilled, over the moon, all those good. Stevie Wonder said, I am overjoyed to be joined today by Pastor Solomon Missouri, who joined me to talk about season one of one of the best shows of 2022, The Bear. And he is back again for another round to go back to the, you know, having a drink speak, to talk about one of the best seasons of 2023 of any show that I've watched thus far, The Bear season two. Solomon, welcome back to the podcast. Please say hello to my lovely listeners. Hello, everyone. Hello, all. I am so glad to be back on the pod one more time. I have a lot to say. I am so excited to talk about this season of television with you. I'm so glad. I was like, okay, I'm going to ask him again. I hope he'll say yes. So I'm so delighted. When he immediately said yes, this season, it's like, I love season one. And, and I'm just like, Am I going to love season two? You never know. It's like, ah, and and no, was not disappointed. So I cannot wait to get into it. Solomon, as an aside, um, so y'all, I'm, I'm going to link to Solomon's social media in the show notes. But I feel like if you've come to this podcast because you've seen the Solomons on the episode, you, you know, like Solomon really should be charging us for the sage wisdom that he, that he shares <laughs> on his Twitter account. He is one of the reasons why, even though Twitter is just a dumpster fire, it's like, nope, this is the community that we built. These are our people, and I'm going to be here till the wheels fall off. So when Solomon and I first spoke, like the big thing was the pegging thread. And Solomon, just so you know, I went down to the Renaissance Club. I went to, the, to Beyonce's Renaissance World Tour here in Philly, and I wore my hot pink, they pegging out here, y'all, t-shirt. And... I received, I received, I have like a picture that I took like a snap, like in the little elevator bay as I was going, like I'll see catch my Uber, I'll send it to you because I'm a woman in her forties. So I can't, I couldn't be doing like the, the, the costumes. I'm like, uh, uh-uh, I need to be sensible and I need to be cool. So I had on my t-shirt, some leggings and some hot pink shoes to go with my hot pink shirt. And it was just my kind of carrying on. So I I thank you for that contribution to my Renaissance World Tour wardrobe. (laughs) So before we get into our conversation, it's the More Wine Podcast. Solomon, what are you sipping on this week? Uh, This week, I ran out of bourbon and I didn't want to be late to the podcast. So uh, this week is just like cran pineapple juice and... A little bit of um, salsa water. I love it. I love it. Y'all know all drinks are welcomed on this podcast of all varieties. And you you all can't see the drink, but it's very colorful. It's it's very, yes, yes I'm enjoying the color of this drink. 
my like my Kenuff drink. Yes, yes, it is. It is very. It is. It is definitely giving. I am Kenuff. It is. It is very. I like it. It's. It's a pleasing color pattern to me. Um, so y'all know how I do. I am holding it down with my beloved favorite, my barefoot sangria. It's what I do most times, and I felt like you know I'm returning to a fave TV show, so I may as well go back to one of my fave drinks. This is your friendly reminder. I think I've already dropped a four-letter word in like the first 30 seconds, but this is your time to be reminded that on this podcast, we drink, we know things, we use adult language, and we have a great time each and every time. Okay, Solomon, let's get into it. So just overall thoughts. I, you know, listen, because we're both people with excellent taste, rather than asking you if you liked season two, because I feel like that goes without saying, because we both like nice things. I wanted to instead ask you for three words to describe either your reaction or what you felt after watching season two of The Bear. Um, there is really only one word that I can um, like find for the consumptive experience of the bear and that's transcendent Mm. um i was literally elevated uh watching season two i thought that season one was good i mean good great but season two was phenomenal i love that and and now i just feel like i shouldn't even offer my words because that's it it was transcendent i mean i feel like all of my words are getting at that word which is transcendent for me, listen, I felt a little bit stressed. Um, and we're, we're going to talk about that in more detail when we talk about how I felt a little bit seen and attacked by this season. And I was a little bit stressful at times. I felt moved. I felt moved in ways that I hadn't felt moved in a long time. And I felt loved. I mean, I, I think that there was a lot about the season that prompted me to sort of reflect on my own life, my own experiences, and just how we saw these people caring for and nurturing each other. And I'm like, this is just, it's its just love. So, mm. but getting back to what I said at the top about feeling seen, attacked, or maybe a little bit of both, that's where I really want to start getting into the nitty gritty of it, Solomon. I love season one. And in our prior conversation, you know, we talked about how certain character arcs resonated with us. And, and like, you know, I'd, I'd ask you a play question about, like, you know, who your who you felt most seen. I think I'd ask you, like, who is your which character represented your sun sign? And I will never forget you said Richie. And that always stuck with me because Richie is this character that I just had so many complicated feelings about and and so obviously going into season two um I thought a lot about you as I was watching it and watching Richie's arc and and I felt like you know how I resonated with these characters in season one I felt it on a deeper level watching season two and there were just so many moments like I said where I felt very seen I felt very attacked. Maybe I even felt a little bit exposed or maybe it was a little bit of all three. So in honor of that, Solomon, I thought that maybe we could unpack a few moments or highlights from the season where we experienced some some assortment of these emotions. So we'll do a little bit of back and forth. So I want you to start it off and give me one. Give me your first one. Oh man. Okay. So 
um, there are so many moments that like levitate for season two. Um, I think that if I'm, oh man, where what's what part do I want to start at when it comes to? Uh, okay, so I just got finished watching episode ten all over again, mm-hmm. and um, I. I mean, oh, it's so good. The show is so good. Okay, hold on. I can do this. So when Richie's driving and he's listening to Taylor Swift, yes. there is a very humanizing, playful, uh, almost um, Eye of the Tiger 80-ish kind of um, resolve there. Mm-hmm. The ability to see Richie as more than a simple, like, jackass. Yeah. Like he's he's having a I don't know if you watched Avatar: The Last Airbender. I have not. I mean, I need to add it to my list. I I need to do it. Just know that Zuko has like the best redemption story arc that I've seen in modern television, but Richie has a redemption arc that lands right behind that. We are given so much. Uh, and understand so much more about Richie through, I think his episode, through Forks, the uh, Forks yes, episode. Yes, yes. Um, then any other episode. So like season one, he's a foil or antagonist, but then season two, he becomes so much more. Yes. Yes. Yes, he does. It, it's uh, the writer's... Pay these writers and pay these actors. That's the theme. That's the takeaway point. I mean, pay them what they are owed and put a little bit on top of that to boot. Right. So I'll start with, I'm going to start with, I think, maybe the lower level of mine. Um, It's the personal and professional dynamics, right? I felt very seen and attacked. I think whether it's work or at home, I think that in our dynamics and how we interact with each other, We inevitably, there are going to always be people who get to take up a lot of space with their shit. Mm -hmm. And in sort of a metaphorical sense, but also literally sometimes your shit is taking up a lot of space. Like your actual shit here is taking up space. And I think that in in our dynamics, whether it's professional or whether it's personal, family, chosen family, for those people to exist, it means they're coexisting with people who tend to shrink themselves a little bit or, or you know, who sort of go into situations and know, okay, I'm going to have to be a little bit smaller here. No one's asking me to do it, but it feels like for this to work the way that it needs to work, I we can't both be doing this all the time at the same time. And... And it can be emotionally draining. Um, it can be a little bit frustrating sometimes. And I felt very seen and attacked by that because I think ultimately, particularly, I mean, I think in both settings, whether it's professional or personal, when it's it's when you are shrinking yourself to accommodate the folks that take up a lot of space, you also tend to be the person who is also taking on more of whatever the collective labor is in that dynamic. And 
When I tell you I felt very seen and attacked by both Sid and Natalie, um, I'm going to get a little bit more into to Carmi and how I feel about Carmi this season. But sort of watching him, I, I like everybody's got trauma. Everyone, you know, has things that have impacted them and shaped who they were. And I felt like a lot of this season, season one, interestingly, it felt like Richie was the one taking up that space. And it felt like we were going down that path again. It was like, oh, nope. Then the writers flipped it and switched it up. And it's like, oh, no, it's Carmi. He's the one that's taking up the space this season. He is the one that's draining the labor and the resources from the people that make themselves smaller. And just watching Natalie and Sid in particular, but it it wasn't just limited to them, but watching them sort of shrink themselves, you know, taking on all of this labor, like, yes, Carmi jumps in, helps push a few things over, but ultimately on balance, this shit doesn't get done without Natalie and Sid carrying the weight, doing the labor, pushing it forward while also letting Carmi go on this journey that he wants to go to that's taking up his space in terms of being available and being a more present and and an equal partner in this venture. And it just was like, whoo, I've been seen, I've been exposed, and I've been attacked. <laughs> um, and something that, that we, actually happens to... <clears throat> making room for people to occupy more space. If you're not careful, uh, it becomes a part of you. Your um, it becomes like molded into your relationship. Yep. And if you're not emotionally compensated for that work, you'll always take upon that position and that posture. Uh, but there'll be no like um steam valve for you yes so you begin to get burned out uh by always like having to be the one that says i'm sorry always having to be, to be the one that makes themselves smaller uh at always having the one to be you know the one that falls under yes uh, so what we find in um the the relationship between like sid and carmy uh is that sid finds herself um, having to like fold under. Yes. And even, and, and not, and she realizes that there is no compensation mm-hmm. for the dynamics of that relationship. Yes. Right. And so as much as like Carmi says, and I want to say in episode, episode nine, uh, I think it's, is that the omelet episode? Yeah, that's, yeah, omelet. that's the omelet. Yep. And so as much as Carmi says, like, I can't do this without you, the acknowledgement of that reality also suggests that there is a compensation and an equity that is uh, that goes into I can't do this without you. Don't just give me words. Acknowledge, like, the importance that I bring to this situation, that the genius that you are mm-hmm. is and facilitated by other people around you who are just as competent, but competent in different directions. Yes, yes. Right? And so you can't be who you need to be unless there is an entire ecosystem around you that is facilitating 
uh, the competencies that you bring forth. Yes. Yes. I just, okay, you preaching. Yes. I'm just over here like just nodding like, yes, yes, yes. And what I love is how, you know, the writers do it in a quite literal sense. But to your point, it then sort of plays out in a more nuanced fashion. But I think it's episode two where Carmi and Sid were supposed to go out and, you know, taste all these different foods, think about the chaos menu. And, you know, uh, he ditches um, Sid to go whatever, frolic with Claire. And and Claire and, and Sid is going to all of these different restaurants. And there's one restaurant in particular where she's talking to her friend, a fellow chef, it's a black woman. And, and she asks her, so what's your, what, so what are you getting paid? What's your equity? What's your, what are, you know, like I, you telling me that you're doing all of this with your partner, but like, what's the payout? What are you getting from it? And Sid is just, she, she's got nothing because she hasn't had that conversation. And she's just like, you know, well, it's kind of like it is what it is. And, you know, and that woman gave her that that essential black woman, like, baby, you okay, you gonna learn. I'm not I'm not gonna press you right now, but I'm gonna give you that universal black woman look at you know, you you picking up what I'm putting down and I'm gonna leave it there. And I think it's also echoed in a lot of the conversations that Sid is having with her dad, that that initial conversation that she has with him where I think she feels a little bit like he's being a skeptic, but what he's really asking her is like, what kind of partner is he? What is, you know, what are you actually getting out of this? You know, I I hear you telling me that everyone's sacrificing, but what you haven't told me is what you're getting. And I love how, you know, in this, in these contexts, it feels like, oh, they're talking about money, but it's like, no, as this season plays out, this isn't, this is about so much more than, you know, Sid not getting a salary for whatever, however many months. This is, this is about much larger returns on her investments and whether or not she's going to get them and whether or not she's advocating for them and whether or not Carmi's even initiating those conversations, which we do not see in the course of this season. So I, I love the point that you made. Well, and then, then the other aspect of that relationship dynamic plays out in this. All compensation don't look the same. Yep. Yep. And where Carmi has, is, you know, been a, a chef in a, a Michelin star restaurant and Sid has not, this relationship dynamic should allow her to create space for herself because, again, it might be for a season. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Partnership does not necessarily have to be like some. And that's another thing. Like, <clears throat> sometimes we want to hold on to partnerships beyond their season. Yeah. But even if. So what's important to understand is if it is a season and this is d- designed for a beginning, middle, and end, mm-hmm. what I need to make sure of is that whatever I need to acquire, skills, platform, connections, um, name for myself, mm-hmm. right, Uh a resume, whatever I need to acquire, I need to make sure that by the end of the season, yeah, that my compensation, yeah, 
So I shouldn't go back to where or to where I was, nor or stay where I am. Yeah. By the end of this season, what, what, however long the season is, like you know, some people have amazing partnerships, and they're like you know, 10, 20 years, and that's great. But if this is only like a three-year partnership, mm-hmm. at the end of this season, people need to know your name. Yes. 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 Absolutely. Absolutely. Pay these writers. You hear us, writers? This is what we need to see in season three. Pay these people. Pay these actors. And Stephen Mail, shut up. Okay. Were there any I, other moments um, where you felt seen, attacked, exposed, or a combination of, of the, thereof? Okay, so do we want to talk about fishes yet? Because we're 20 minutes in and fishes is literally the linchpin of this season. So do you want to go there? Do you want to talk about Forks? Okay, let me think about it. Uh, I want to talk about both of them. Let me let me look at what else I've got on my list about feeling seen, attacked, and... Okay, mine are kind of surface level. Well, one is a deeper one. One's a surface level one. I'm gonna work through those, and then let's get into it because I, because because I, because I feel like we need to give them their proper space and their time. I'm gonna go to a light one, and then I'm gonna end on what I think is the heavier one because I think that one would be a good transition into forks. So. I felt I I always feel very seen by Sid, and there is a moment in particular. Um, it's episode one when she gives this long rambling invitation to Tina to be her Jeff in the new restaurant. Um, I just loved so much everything about the way that that was written, about the way that I uh. Adebri delivered it because I tend to be, particularly when I'm trying to like have a conversation or approach a topic where I'm a little bit nervous and I don't know what the person is going to say. And I will be long and rambling and winding and be like, well, okay. So if it's a thing that you might be into. And so without divulging too much of my personal life, I did have an occasion like earlier this year where I, you know, had had reconnected with someone and and was like, mm, I I there's something there's something here and I want to put it on the table and I want to have a con- you know I want to just sort of put it on the table so we can talk about it and so you know I'd gone out to dinner with this person we had a great time and then it was like okay dinner's ending I haven't said anything and I'm like I'm too old I don't play games I put things on the table and so I felt myself giving this long winding like rambling like okay I think it may be this this and I remember literally saying at some point you know I don't like most people but I like you and so you know I don't know like yeah. And it was at that point that he like reached out and grabbed my hand because he was like, oh, you know what? Let me let me help you bring this home. And it was a positive conversation. And, and I think that it 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 went where I wanted it to go. But when Sid was having that long rambling conversation with Tina about, you know, obviously Tina was going to say yes. It was such a beautiful like anytime Tina gets affirmed. 
an angel gets their wings. It's like I just it brings my it brings me so much joy. And and I in it it was such a lovely callback to their relationship from season one and the evolution of that relationship. So I loved everything about it. But I also felt super duper attacked in scene because like I was like, my God. Every conversation where I'm broaching a topic where I'm an attorney, I like to know the answers to the questions before I ask them. So any conversation that I have with someone where I don't know the answer, oh, you better just buckle up, buttercup, because it's probably going to take me about 15 smooth minutes of rambling and winding and awkwardness before I get, before I land the plane. So I felt very attacked and very seen. Um, Well, and it's interesting because she is very tactile mm-hmm. in the approaches like the kitchen, but she's very um, haphazard in the way that she explores emotions. Yeah. So she's like, she fumbles uh, in things that are close to her, but she's like surgical uh, when it comes to food. Right. Yes. And not only, but like when it comes to like planning and when it comes to like the implementation of a thing, like she's a surgical type of uh, and precise type of person, but she loses it when it comes to like that emotional vulnerability piece, which is one of the reasons why she's having difficulty navigating what she's feeling for Marcus. Yeah. Or not for Marcus. But then the other part about that is that she's a woman in a professional setting and she wants to be respected in that setting. And she knows that there are abuses that come from power uh, distance and there are abuses that come from uh, people who are working in kitchens and all that kind of stuff. So there's a history of that. Mm -hmm. So what the point is, like, you know, being placed in that situation, even though there's, there's like a little thing or whatever, right? But it's all messy for her. Yeah. But the thing it's for her is like the food and planning the food and putting the food together because she knows like what comes first, what comes second, what comes third. So even as she's like, um, she asked sugar, like, what can I do for you? And sugar's like, I'm so hungry. Like she can address that concern. Yep. Yep. The, like the messy, emotional, hormonal type situation. She don't want to deal with that. But she can. She knows what she wants to deal with. She knows what she can deal with or can control because she's effectively trying to control the situation. And so she's good at, at manipulating or controlling uh, the inputs of food, the inputs of like uh, of, of the rent of, of the uh, cuisine, mm-hmm. uh, like control, like because emotions don't have control knobs like that no right no they do not and and i feel like solomon you've just attacked me again i am not a chef but it's a very similar this is why i felt so seen and attacked by it because professionally i you know you give me a problem i pride myself oh we're gonna we're gonna solve the hell out of this problem i got it i don't care how complicated it is uh, complicated it complicated or even complicated it however complicated it, it is 
we're going to get, we're going to see it through. Like, I will be your Sherpa on this journey. We're going to figure it out. I got you. We're going to, we're going to pressure test. We're going to scenario play. We're going to, I'm a quarter. I can see the whole field. I'm going to anticipate every scenario and we're going to, we're going to map it out. We're going to plot it. We're going to have our reaction points. We're going to talk about how we're going to be pro. I can do all of that in a professional setting. Because that's the training. Yes, because that's the trade. That's the skill set. That's what I know. That is that is what I do. I, you know, and and like I was just telling someone, like I had my annual review recently and my manager was like, you got a fan club here. People love you. And I'm like, well, all right then. Because that's, you know, that's the goal. That's what I'm setting out to do. But all of that decisiveness and, and see, yeah, no. When it comes to personal relationships, <laughs> it's like... Yeah, no. Um, it, I'm gonna overthink it. It, it, it. It's like it's not a. Even though sometimes it is like a centralized thing that I could focus on and I could think about. I, I cannot do it in those settings. And and part of it is is an admittedly discomfort. You know, an admitted discomfort with vulnerability or or just sort of like if I put all this on the table and then you don't receive it or you don't respond or support or or sort of give me the nurturing that I need, it's going to destroy me. So let me not set you up for failure and let me just keep it to myself, which is, is y'all, that does not work. And I'm just, I'm just going to tell you, it is not effective, but you know, self-awareness is good. Um, and the bear season two reminded me a lot of my own self-awareness because I felt deeply attacked by Sydney. Um, it is a love letter to the pro freak in your life that your emotions deserve to be exercised and they deserve to have a safe space to be um to be emoted yes right and that's not always especially a safe space to be heard and that's especially difficult for black women in professional settings who are used to being disregarded finds themselves to be one of them. That is it. And so the other place where I felt a little bit seen attacked, but I think it's also the thing that, that filled me with love. And I think it's a good way to transition into the conversation about forks. Change is scary, y'all. I'm a preacher habit. If I find something that feels good and I know that this thing works, I'm like, we're not going to rock this boat. We're going we gonna to stay the course until we can't stay the course. And then you're like, oh, crap, I'm going to have to change. And change is scary, especially sometimes when you realize you may be on a different path or a different timeline. I think I've always been amongst my friend groups, I've always been a little bit of the late bloomer, a little bit slower. Like, you know, I I have friends that started getting married and having families in their 20s and in their in their early 30s. And I, I knew, I was like, that seems like a whole lot going on over there. And, and that doesn't seem like that's for me. And I think you, you start to worry like, okay, if I'm not moving at everyone else's pace, and this is why Richie really, I felt seen and attacked by him. You begin to question if, am I going to still have a place with you, with this, with these people, with this group in this space? Am I still going to have a space here 
if maybe I'm on a different path or maybe I'm on a different timeline and, and our timelines aren't the same and they're not necessarily working in sync at all times, is there still going to be a place for me? Now, I think those are the insecurities for sure for me, like of your 20s and I think early 30s. I will tell y'all the blessing of getting older and when you get into your 40s, you know, your fucks meter and the fucks that you have to spare in life, it just becomes more deficient as you age. So you do, whether you want to or not, you begin to move past a lot of that stuff because you just realize like, I, I don't think I care. I just, I, I am who I am and you are who you are. And I think you also learn over time as you're, as your connections and your friendships continue to stay the course and, and, and last over time, you realize that there is beauty in these different paths. It expands your world. It, it can be, in, it can enrich. It doesn't have to isolate or put someone on an island unto yourself. And, and, and there is a universe in which all of this change and development and growth and expansion, it can all coexist. And I feel like so much of that plays out in this second season. You know, like I'm going to end with Richie, but I wanted to talk about Ibra and culinary school. Ibra and Tina in particular, I felt so deeply seen by both of them. Um, When I went to law school, I went to law school like later in life. I, you know, I, um, I graduated from undergrad. I went to New York. I flew by the seat of my pants for a few years. Went to grad school. Worked for a writer in Brooklyn. Like helped him curate like a hip hop museum. It, it was it was like it, I was literally just doing what the hell ever. And then from there, I taught for a few years because I came back to North Carolina where I taught in Raleigh and Durham. And then after all of that, flying by the seat of my pants, I was like, okay, I guess it's time to figure out what's the long-term plan? I'll go to law school. But at this point, I'm knocking on 30 and I'm going into a place where the majority of these people, they are like 21 because they decided that they came out of the womb, apparently, knowing that they wanted to be attorneys and they just go straight through. And I remember feeling overwhelmed and nervous and, and like, can I do this? Am I going to fit in? Like, am Am I going to flop? Like you just, it's like, so I, and, and it was full of delightful surprises because I, I expanded my friendship circles. I did develop great relationships, much like Tina, but going into it, baby, I felt like Ibra, I don't want to wear no uniform. I don't want to be subject to the Socratic method. Don't ask me no questions. I did the reading. Just assume I did it, man. Don't put me on the spot. Like, I, I don't want to do all this stuff. This is uncomfortable. And I did feel like I had to work twice as hard to like react myself to being a student to understand the concepts because I also I didn't come from like a legal background I came from like a I was a history major I liked writing long like rambling papers about the Black Panther Party I'm like and now you're putting me in an environment where people are like say your point get your point done put it in writing and do it in five pages or less and I'm like okay this is going to be a struggle it's the it's it's it was basically the 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 equivalent of poor Ebra trying to chop up that celery. And you're like, look, bitch, I, you know, I chopped my celery this way. I don't know how to do it. So I just felt deeply seen, attacked and exposed by both of them. But I also loved their journeys so very, very much because they ultimately sort of found their space and found their way. 
And then obviously the other person who is going through the scary challenges of change is Richie. I mean, that very first episode where he's just like, you know, what is my place here? You know, what am I doing? Like it, we, anytime you have an episode where, where Carney is, re, is calling out to Richie and Richie isn't loudly responding, Richie is quiet and in a basement and not up in everybody's shit. I'm like, okay, Richie, what is happening? It was such a beautiful journey watching him deal with how freaking scary change can be and how scary it is when when you have sort of a world that you've built for yourself and you see that world changing and you love that world and you love the people in that world and you don't know if there's going to be a place for you. It hit me on a cellular level and nothing, of course, brought me more joy to watch his journey in forks. And so that's where I'll, I'll park it right there and shut up and then give it over to you so that let's, let's get into it. <laughs> so what Richie is like navigating emotionally is that the, is the distance between being good at a thing that's becoming obsolete. Yes. And you can be a, a rock star at a thing that's no longer needed. So being good at a, at a useless thing, uh, you'll literally claw and fight to keep everybody that's around you back. Mm-hmm. Yes. So where he's a um, encumbrance in season one, it's because he sees that other people are transitioning, developing new skills, taking upon new ideas, um, and discovering new competencies that he doesn't have. Yeah. He can make a sandwich. Yep. Right? He, he knows the people at the, at the front of the counter. He knows that, you know, he knows the, the community in the neighborhood. He knows how to, you know, how to handle things. He knows, you know, uh, how, how to, you know, deal with uh, the aggressive side of things, like when he has to come out with a gun and all that kind of good stuff, whatever. Like he's a guy that can get those things done, but it can't lead you where you're going. Mm-mm. No. And so the skills that were necessary, useful, and desirable yesterday are not the skills that are necessary, useful, and desirable today today and tomorrow. Yeah. And so there is a depth of the expectations that we had as far as what life would be and what life would look like Mm -hmm. versus a birth into understanding what I need to get in order to move my life forward. Now, this is an important part. All of this is happening in a place called Chicago, in the Midwest, in a place and in a region 
that is experiencing that transition. Yes. Of the way that we used to be, what was successful yesterday versus what we will be. Yep. And how do I bury myself and birth myself at the same time? Mm. Mm-hmm. Because the reality is you got to bury it. Yeah. Because if you don't bury that anxiety, bury that frustration, bury that um, that disappointment, you won't be able to birth yourself into the next thing that you're going to go, in, in the next place you're going to go. Yeah. And so simultaneously, Richie is having to bury himself and birth himself at the same, same time. time. Yeah. He's struggling to to let it go down, but also to come up. Yeah. He wants to be that hard guy. He wants to be like that chiseled, the guy who's chiseled around the edges of, you know, the um the, the every man. What what is it he says? I'm not in ha- Van Halen. What is I can't remember the quote. Like I'm I'm in the group. It's it's a Van Halen quote. I'm I'm gonna find it because it's it's exactly what you're talking about. Yes. And so even even through that, like, he's fearful because he thinks that having to shed who he was and put on who he will be, he thinks he's losing. He thinks it's punishment. And how many people do we know in our lives that have to bury themselves and birth themselves as punishment? Yes. Amen. Solomon is taking a sip as he should because he gave me that well look and I'm over here like, yep. And I've got the quote. I'm not like this because I'm in Van Halen. I'm in Van Halen because I'm like this. It that yeah. it's that. Yeah. It's that. Yeah. yeah. And then it goes to the place of okay, so now you know what you've brought to the situation but you don't know what you'll bring yes and there's a fear in that yes yes because you good in a small pond but where you're going ain't small no and so if you don't learn the competency of courage in death you won't carry it with you in birth and so richie has to learn how to be courageous in killing something, killing that which he's been, that old man, in order to be birthed as a new man. So, perfect example. Uh, at the beginning of the season, Richie's wearing like t-shirts and like jeans because that's what Richie wears. Yes. And his original birth shirt, which um, FX, that was a missed opportunity because I would absolutely buy an original birth shirt. Correct. <laughs> would. But, and then at the end of Forks, the realization is I'm a suit guy. Yeah. Yeah. A rebirth. It's, it's, I mean, quite literally. I mean, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, we used to say some, uh, you know, like in, in church, the things I used to do, I don't do anymore. You know, the, the way I used to walk, the way I used to talk, the way I used to dress, <laughs> right? <clears throat> There's the shedding that's necessary for us to take on new mentalities new posture, new behaviors, new skills, new uh, um, dispensations, new dispositions um, manifest inwardly and outwardly. And so Richie goes through this entire transformation 
where he sees that, oh, you know what? I'm not just that guy. Oh, God. How many times do we think that we're just one thing because that's all we were able to do, all all we were permitted to do, all we saw to do? And in order to realize that there was more in us that was on us than was on us, Mm -hmm. go somewhere else, see something else, and do something else. And when we saw it, when we did it, and when we allowed ourselves to be it, that's when the reservoir of potential comes out. It's not always where you've been that's going to determine what you can do. Sometimes you got to see something different. And Richie Richie literally needed to see something different. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. And I love how you talk about sort of how he's realized, like, you know, you talked about him in season one. And I just, as an aside, so I watched this. I'd gone home to Virginia to spend some time with my mom. And in preparation for this outline, I'm like, all right, I'm going to start season two. Because I had asked my mom in 2022, I was like, you watched The Bear, right? Because if you haven't watched The Bear, you need to watch The Bear. And she's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I watched it. It was good. So we start watching season two. And she's like, what is this show? I'm like, ma'am, you said you watched this season. She was like, she was like, no, mate, I thought you were talking about something. I was like, no, you didn't. I was like, you lied. You lied. You just, you were just like, mm-hmm. I watched it. And I was like, so what we're going to do is now we got to stop. I was like, I'm trying to make progress on this outline. Now I have to stop. We had gotten like almost to the end of season two, episode one. And I was like, oh, no. Oh, no. Now we're going to have to go. We got to take it back to the top, which, which actually ended up working out because I think it did make me appreciate a lot of what we see in season two, having that very fresh, that refresher. But when you were talking about sort of his old ways and what he was used to doing, you know, I love in season one where he's used to being the guy that's mediating things with, with the guys in the neighborhood. He brings out his gun. He talks tough. And towards the end of that season, Sid goes out and she resolves it by offering some sandwiches and so, and just, and how that sort of, it, 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 it just exacerbates everything that you're feeling, right? Because you're like, this is my thing. Only I can do this thing. And at the same time, you've got these people that are coming in there around you that have these skills that, that can do different things. And it's like, you can do my thing and your thing. What the fuck? Like, what, 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 like, um, seriously, what are we doing? What am I doing, actually? What am I doing here? And that moment in particular for me, I, I was so glad to be reminded of it because it, to me, it spoke volumes to where we find Richie in episode one, like I said, in the basement, you know, asking Carmi, like, you know, you know, about purpose and, 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 and what you do in life. And so it was so beautiful to see him come out on the other side. I, I just, whew, like... We are no longer making sandwiches. Yes. And it takes a bit of heartbreak to understand that what we were doing yesterday, we're not doing today. Yep. And especially people who have come from dysfunctional, like situations, dysfunctional environments, who learn how to cope, exist, and thrive in that dysfunction, one of the more heartbreaking things that you can do, I mean, especially if like, if you're, if you like are navigating, um, trying to like 
integrate healthy relationships into your life, not just like intimate relationships, but just healthy relationships overall. Yep. What you come from or what you've seen or what you have uh, immediate or intimate knowledge of is like dysfunctional relationships. So you'll begin to carry over toxicity from yesterday into today because that's what you know. Yep. That you've been through. That's what you're acclimated. Uh, <clears throat> that's what you mean, you're acclimated to. And so eventually something has to click that says that what we've done yesterday is not what we're doing today. Yeah. I have to find a, my sense of self and purpose in what we're doing today. Because if I keep on doing what we did yesterday, I'm going to destroy what we're trying to do today. And that's what Richie was on the verge of. He was on the verge of literally destroying what we were doing today. Yes. And I'm so glad you brought that up because when I was watching Forks, it, I was at, so, and, and we'll go to this episode next, which is Fishes. But I think I might have been, I was on edge for different reasons in both episodes. But in Forks, I was on edge the entire time. Because I was so worried that Richie was going to self-sabotage. That at some point he was just going to sort of, you know, go full-blown bull in a china shop and just like just tear it all down. Because for every, for all of the reasons that you just, that you just discussed. And because it's like, I again, you know, the whole theme of seeing exposed attack. I see that. I get that. Sometimes... You're just like, I don't know what this is, and I don't know that I see my place, and I'm skeptical, and I'm paranoid, and 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 I've got anxiety. So, you know, I'm going to just blow it up, because if I blow it up, then I don't get disappointed. If I blow it up, then I don't have to deal with how scary it is to contemplate what happens on the other side. If I blow it up, then it's just blown up. That's what I do, and that's what I'm going to do. And I always because that's from yes, yes. This is what people expect from me. So I'm, and he kept trying, especially like when he would say, like, I know Carmi just made you give me this job. And I loved, oh my God, the scene with Olivia Coleman. Like I said, you know, when I said that one of my reactions was like, I feel loved. That scene was so full of love. And, and I love, I, I was so happy for Richie to get that affirmation. Like, I listen, I want to drag Carmi for a number of reasons, but it brought me so much joy for Richie to have this moment where he realizes that Carmi wasn't trying to conspire to, you know, you know, get him out of the way, get, you know, or or just sort of, you know, find something to occupy his time, that it came from a genuine place of like supporting and believing when she said no she told me he told me that you were good with people and he was right I was like oh. like yes <laughs> yes like it, it was it was it was everything because there were parts in that episode where you know be, especially because we you know Forks is after fishes and fishes for me was so dark and I know that like you know so trigger warning for like, you know, suicide, you know, we knew what happened with Mikey. There were parts in Forks where I was worried. I was like, where are we going with Richie? Like, is this a, is this a turning the corner or is this a swan song? I don't know that I was confident about where we were going with this show. And that was giving me a lot of concern, particularly after you get sort of that backdrop in fishes of, of like, 
I mean, oh, let's let's talk about it. So wait, let me stop. Anything else about forks? Because otherwise, I'll I'll hop on over to fishes. Because I was going to start talking about Richie and fishes. Um. Okay. So there's an element uh, that is been consistent from season one to season two of like magical realism that kind of persists in uh, the show. In season one, it was the idea that the solution is in the sauce. Yeah. Like that's when they found all the money or whatever. And people were saying like that was too hand wavy, too magical or whatever. In season two, uh, it's the idea of magical helpers. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Elizabeth Holman, which I have a minor crush on. I don't understand why Mm -hmm. I later, but anyway, um, so she like appears when she needs to appear. Um, the student is ready. The master will appear. The teacher will appear. Yes. Okay. But then she disappears. And so he's looking for her, but he can't find her. Mm-hmm. That is one of the ways that like th- this idea of magical or, or magic um, kind of ne- finds itself, wedges itself in season two, and Olivia Coleman is like that perfect kind of age mentor. I mean, again, you're almost, um, you know, doing something um, almost like a, a man on the mountain type type thing, where you know she's peeling mushrooms, yeah, and she's how to peel mushrooms, whatever. And so um, <clears throat> that that begins to be a way that um, that you know he comes to a point of self-actualization or self-realization. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's it's such a simple but such a loving act. Like, you know, to sit there and peel those mushrooms and the fact that it's something that Richie can do. And he's like, and, and, and realizing that, you know, I might not be Carmi and I might not be Sid, but what I bring to the table, it matters and it has value and it is something that can help other people feel special and feel loved because he gets that in that scene, but he also gets it, you know, when he finally gets an opportunity to sort of work the floor of the restaurant and to see like the lengths that they go through to make these occasions special. And I'm like, where are these restaurants in the real world? Because I mean, I've been to some, some, you know, I'm in Philly. We've, we've got Michelin star restaurants. We've got Iron Chef restaurants. And I'm like, I have never been somewhere where somebody looked at, well, all my social media is private, but I've never like, had somebody listening on a conversation or or sort of know like oh she wants to try deep dish pizza i'm like what do you do that at because i'm trying to find that kind of experience where where are the places that i can experience the magic yes yes i want some magic i want that kind of magic so i but i i love i love the idea of the magical helpers because that's that is so at the core of this season like i said despite all of my frustrations with carmy like and it's not just Carmi, but it's also Sid. It's the two of them sort of thinking about these these members of the team and what it is they need. Because, you know, everything with Marcus is that's totally in Copenhagen. I mean, magical helper for sure. Sending Tina to culinary school. Magical. It, it's and it's and, and to me, it's like the magical helpers for me. It, it's why I felt full of love because it's, there's so much love that goes into pouring into people, nurturing people and, and giving and putting people in places 
to help them be the best that they can be. And to your point about those returns on investment and and sort of, you know, is what's the season for this partnership? They're making investments that, yes, it's going to help this restaurant, but they're making the kind of investments it's going to benefit these people for a lifetime. It's what I tell young law students all the time. I'm like, you're going to go to a law firm and they're going to work you to death. So when you're in this interview process, you need to ask them, what is their investment in you? What are they pouring into you? Because anyone can do this work and they're going to all view you like that. So you need to be asking them specifically what are you doing to pour into me? Because I'm going to be giving you so very, very much of my time, my energy, the best years of my life, the best years of my knees. Like, you know, so you need to know sort of it's a, and I said, you need to think about it as a two-way street because they're not going to treat you. How they treat you right now is the best that they're going to ever treat you. And so you need to have it all on the table because it's not that it's downhill from there, but this is their opportunity. It's not just them interviewing you. This is a two-way courtship. And if they don't treat it like that, you don't want to go work there because that just means they don't, they really don't give a crap about you. And and you need to go find another opportunity while you can, because you're not going to be wet to any of these jobs. If it doesn't work out two years, you can go somewhere else. But at least start off on your best foot forward and be sure that they are courting you the way that they should at this phase. Because again, this is the best it's going to be in, in, in the course of your relationship. Right. Because at the end of the day, the nurturing process, and this is something that like a lot of jobs don't get, they understand the utility process, that a person is a tool, but they that you also have to take care of your tools. So you have to make sure that like they stay clean, they are uh, well lubed, they are not in a position where they're going to be worn out or worn down. The uh, effectiveness and efficiency of a tool is only realized in in the maintenance that the tool goes under. And care for it well, then it can't complete the job that you needed to complete. Exactly, exactly. It is like my favorite cooking tool, which is my cast iron skillet, which has given me a lot of delicious steaks. And what I know I need to do is when I, when I, I, I baby my cast iron, cast iron skillet, like that baby gets the special cleaning and I, you oil it down and you re-season it. You put that love back into that tool because this tool has given you so much, so many delicious ribeyes I've enjoyed in my cast iron skillet. So it is very much so, very much so that. Let's get into fishes, Solomon. Right, um, let's just do it. Uh, so I'm going to tell y'all right now, and I'm I'm looking to be converted. I truly do. I want to be converted. I had done a pretty good job about avoiding sort of the, the discourse on social media because I didn't want to be spoiled got into it and then I watched the season and I watched that I, I watched it with my mom and we both kind of felt the same way like I don't ever want to experience that again <laughs> I'm like that wasn't pleasurable and this is someone that I had already introduced to season one so we had watched review we knew that this is a series that sort of is now establishing a pattern that there's going to be at least one episode where they are going to push you and the characters to the limits of your stress and your tolerance to watch these characters in, in deeply stressful situations. But I found myself 
during fishes, constantly like taking the remote to see how much time I had left. Cause I was like, I just, I want this over with. And there's part of me that understands that that is by design. If you're experiencing that, that is exactly how you should feel. This isn't supposed to be an episode where you're like, oh yeah, this is somewhere I would totally like go to go to Christmas. And I think that's kind of sort of my frustration because I'm like, y'all are really lovely people. I love my family, but I firmly believe in boundaries. And let me tell you something, it would have been one time in that woman's house, one time and every Every subsequent holiday, I was like, y'all can kiss the blackest part of my ass because I ain't going back into that. I survived one time and I ain't forgiving you bastards for making me go through that. Even if it was my mama, I'd be like, I love you, but I'm going on a cruise, honey. Like I'm, I'm literally, I would get on a submersible with, with billionaires and go visit the remnants of the Titanic and take my, and take my chances with the joystick controlled submersible or take my chances on Lake Lanier before I go back into the madness of that house. That is how deeply distressing I would, y'all. I'm black. My, I had a, I had praying black aunties and grandmothers and ancestors, and I would never do any of those things. I'm just using these as dramatic examples to explain to you how much I would refuse to go back into that situation, which is why it's like wild to me that some of these characters keep going back into it, but I also understand why they go back into it. But okay, that's just a little portion of how I felt, but I want to turn it over to Solomon because I, I do know, I know the consensus is everyone's like, excellent episode, maybe best of the season. And I'm sort of like the Thor meme, is it though? So I, I'm, I'm looking, I want to hear another perspective. I want the pushback. I want to, I, I need to talk through this episode with someone else is what I'm saying. Okay, good. I'm glad. <clears throat> Are you ready? I'm ready. I'm ready. Let me begin by prefacing um, the segment this way. Fishes is one of the best episodes of television that has ever been recorded. Wow. Okay. Um, if it made you feel uncomfortable, uneasy, if it made you feel as if you were looking in on something that you didn't know if you had the right to look at, or you wanted to run from, then it was effective in every manner. Yeah. Because you want to know, like, Carmi comes in season one out of the ether. Mm -hmm. Don't know where he comes from. We know that he has, like, all of these uh, all of this weight that he's carrying, we discover that his brother, you know, commits suicide. Uh, we we know that you know, like his he has a strained family relationship, but we don't like we're not aware of like what it is. We're like everybody's got you know messed up family. No, 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 no. You're not aware of what's actually going on in the composition of of uh, Carmine. Mm-hmm. We. Why he doubts his talent. We don't know why he left the job that he was at. We don't know, like, the um, interior components that go into who he is that give him doubt and that also give him a, a, that little pinch of genius. Mm-hmm. And so, um, Fishes is the backdrop. 
to like this severe level of dysfunction. Mm-hmm. And in order for me to understand Carmi, I got to go through fishes. Yes. No, I. You know what? I agree. I agree. Okay. So I got Michael. But we also, in front, just from season one, we didn't really understand Michael. Yeah. We thought he was charismatic. And we're wondering, why would somebody who's, like, beloved, charismatic, who, um, you know, everybody seems to to affirm, uh, you know, he, is, he has uh, people who, you know, I mean, granted, they're mobsters, but they'll give him some money. Mm-hmm. Like, really like Mikey. Yeah. He killed himself. Yeah. What does he struggle with? What does he wrestle with, right? And from season one, we get nothing. Yeah. We we get the picture of this guy who is universally beloved. Everybody, like, I mean, even Tina says, Mikey, I love you, kid. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the one thing that we know is that Mikey is loved. But we don't know what Mikey is carrying. Yeah. And so now we see, from just, just from season one, we see Sugar, but we don't know why Sugar is the way she is. Yeah, and we definitely so, know. Yeah. So, so we so we see Sugar is um, concerned. Mm-hmm. We, and we know that she's worried about Carmi. But why is she worried about Carmi? Mm-hmm. And so then we see Sugar is like, wants to be a pillar. Like, like, like Mikey, like Carmi, talk to me. Yeah. Don't, don't carry this by yourself, but I want you, I just want you to talk to me. Because Mikey didn't talk to me. Right. Right. Okay. So we understand Carmi now. We understand Sugar now. Season two shows us. Mikey's whole package. Mm-hmm. So, like, we're sitting at this table, and Mikey's about to be triggered, and Sugar is saying, "Mikey, just look at me. Yeah, look at me, Mikey. I love you. Just look at me. Like, you don't whatever ha- whatever happens, Nate. It doesn't have to go there. Like, if it's me and you." Whatever chaos you have, like whatever you're fighting, whatever war is going on inside, yeah, yeah, like just just let just let it be me and you. Mm-hmm. Don't anybody else at the table. Just let it be me and you, right? Just me and you. Yeah. Okay. So we so we get that part. We're not even talking about their mom yet, right? Jamie Lee Curtis has the best I mean it's the best role of her career of yes. her entire I agree I agree and and all tea all, you know no tea no shade but better than the thing she just won the Oscar for that she probably shouldn't have won um, but is- like but hands I mean yeah her best work I think without question was that episode yeah because it gives her the ability to go to places that we're used to Jamie Lee Curtis as being hot and a little bit funny. Mm-hmm. She's tortured. She's insecure. She's um, belligerent. She's a little bit mean. 
um, she's like, um, she's wounded mm-hmm. and she's taking it out on her kids. Yes. And so at first we're wondering, maybe she's just like a bad mom. Mm, yeah. And it keeps going on. So we get, we're getting these little breadcrumbs. We think that this is just like a bad mom or maybe she's like a, a, a weird mom. Yeah. They're weird moms. Like, people have weird moms. But then it keeps going. Yeah. And it keeps going. Yeah. It's not, going. she's not just eccentric. That's not, this isn't an eccentric right, right. person. Yeah. Right. So something else is, is being, we're seeing something else, something else is jiggling that handle. Yes. And so we start seeing like the, there's a madness there. Mm hmm. There. And it unfolds it's ever so slightly. Oh my God. Underscored by that fucking timer that I would have liked to have taken and broken into a zillion pieces. Yes. Okay. So, Carmi's mom says what Carmi doesn't say. But, he starts to say it at the end of season two. Carmi's mom says, nobody loves me. Yeah. Carmi feels like he doesn't deserve to be loved. Right. 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 I mean, he he says as much to Claire. I mean, in that conversation that they have, I think it's in his kitchen where he's just, it, you know, when we talk about self-sabotage, you know, it's, it's yeah. Yeah. I'm, 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 okay, so now, they're at this table at this function and you see the mom is like manic. She's there's something else. She's like mom, but mom plus whatever mental health condition that she's wrestling with. Exactly. Exactly. And then we see Mikey and he's like, okay, it's Mikey plus. Mm-hmm. And whatever mom is dealing with, Mikey got too. Yep. So sugar is the only one that we see really ain't got the issues with Sugar's just a sugar. Yep. And if you grow up in families where more than one person is dysfunctional, you, just like we talked about, you know, and uh, when we started off. Shrinking very, right. like, couldn't be, couldn't be tinier. Mm. Yeah. Sugar has to make accommodations for people who have huge emotions and huge expectations. Yep. Yep. Okay. Sugar has to be consistent. Sugar uh, can't allow her, mo- her in- she can't allow it to get away from her. Mm-hmm. She can't allow it to get away from her. Okay. At the table, mom is manic and mom is doing the manic things that mom does. Yeah. Sugar's husband tries to bring in an eight fish and everyone is telling him Get that fish out of here because that's going to, like, set mom off. Okay. Who hasn't ate fish? Anyway, so... <laughs> it wasn't like tuna fish. No, I listen, I like tuna fish. It was like, if you're going to bring another fish, I don't know that tuna casserole is the fish. Is, is, no. no. And it's not. So, they're sitting there. Mom is doing the manic thing that mom does. Mikey is beginning to like experience, right, that manic thing. Yep. Like 
he's being triggered by because mom is triggered. Yes. And mom is triggered by the weight and the emotion of this event. She believes that there is an expectation of labor placed upon her by the um by society, right? Yeah. By, as to like make this oh look at your mom, she's made this this huge meal for us, mm-hmm. right? So so that has created the climate for her. Mikey is, is, is triggered because mom is triggered. Carmi is sitting in the middle of this. And you start to see that fight or flight thing kind of like circling. Mm-hmm. There, there's something, there's something Carmi plus going on in there too. Yeah. Yeah. And he, but see the, the difference between Carmi and Mikey is Mikey doesn't know it, but Carmi does. Yes, exactly. It, yeah. Carmi, Carmi starts to feel himself slip a yeah. little bit. He, he starts to feel it, it go. Where where mom and Mikey they don't they don't feel it. No. They don't they don't see it. They 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 just go. Carmi Carmi feels it. Yeah, and, and and I think there's a reasonable assumption that you could make that maybe Carmi recognized it and takes inter like intervenes medically because we see Carmi Carmi's still doing Al-Anon. he's still doing the meetings we see him proactively trying to address things and it could be that Carmi clocks it but Carmi we I mean I think it's another layer that we need to better understand about him maybe he knows too but he's you know sort of he he sought professional help to to deal with the issues cuz that was kind of the vibe that I got cuz I agree I think it's in Carmi too but it feels like Carmi is someone who ha- who is who has gotten help to deal with it? Right. So the question then becomes: How much is too much to lose? Mm-hmm. Because you've lost your brother, and you're disconnected from your mother, and you know that you got a little bit of that. Yeah, it's it's a little bit there for you too. Yeah. And so the question, so am I going to lose my mind? Right. Like, is that, that's the feeling that, you know, like I feel for on Carmi. All right. So it keeps cycling up, mm-hmm. right? Every moment it's another cycle, but then there's like these brief sparks of genius because Carmi can make Sprite. Right. Right. And so... This is like that cauldron moment where Carmi has to decide whether he's going to stay here because what Mikey is trying to get him away from yeah. is don't want to say. Yeah. They trigger each other and they'll pull everyone down. Yeah. 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 Let you work in this restaurant because I know what what'll happen to you. And you can make Sprite. And so if you can make Sprite, imagine what else you can make if you don't have to deal with with oh. Yeah. Yep. So Solomon, I literally agree with everything you said. And 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 there's an added layer to it that I think is also super insightful. And it's it's going back to the conversation from Forks when um 
it's the it's the Olivia Coleman scene when they're talking about like their family lives and like are you close with you know were you close with your mom and Richie's like well my friend's mom was more like my mom and it says so much like we learn a lot in Fishes about Richie I mean I love everything that we learn about him his ex their dynamic just how sweet and tender he was with her but it's also very telling to me that Richie is someone who is not related by blood. He is not partnered with anyone that's related to these people by blood. And yet you get the sense that each and every time Richie shows up and he is present and he is accounted for and he knows exactly how that dinner is going down. And it's also interesting. I can't remember if it's season one or if it's season two where someone asked about I can't remember if they specifically said, have you met Carmi's family? But I think it might be Marcus who says, um, yeah, uh, Richie took me to their house when, you know, to their house for a holiday one season. It was crazy. Like, it's so, it's the the idea that Richie, like, like that this is, that he embraces and leans into this. And, and for him, it's, it's, he keeps, showing up and it goes back to sort of everything we talked about with Richie. So it's like, I agree with all of that about why Fishes is important. It is an excellent television episode, but I I still have a few qualms. (laughs) So, and I think these are my qualms because I had to really push myself because I, it's not the discomfort because, because like I said, I get that the discomfort is the point. If I'd watched that episode and not felt discomfort, someone's failed. Either the writers have failed or I've just failed as the viewer. And people are, are entitled to their experiences, but it's uh, you are supposed to feel like that. So I don't take issue with that, even though, like I said, I was checking that time like, child, I'm, I, I, am, I, am, I am ready for this to be over. And even as I prepared for our conversation, I could not do fishes again. I think I did like 20 minutes of it. And I was like, okay, I've, I've had enough again. Because I wanted to remind myself of sort of, so what were my issues? I, and I know this is going to be an unpopular opinion, and I might get dragged a little bit, and I don't know, I feel like y'all can take that up in your journal and not with me, but I did not like all of the big star names in the episode. I it took me out of it actually. And, and and it's like if I'm going if I'm going all in this with you and you really want me to be in it, let me be in it. Part of what I liked about the first season of The Bear, yes, I knew Jeremy Allen White because I was a huge Shameless fan. But not everybody watched Shameless. Other than him, and then you of course have you have uh John Bernthal who plays Mikey, but he's in what maybe two episodes tops. For me, this cast was a bunch of, these were names and faces that I had not encountered before, by and large. And I think that was part of the show's charm. And I think it's, it's, it's also part of what helps me sort of get into their world. Because, you know, like other than thinking about Jeremy Allen White as Lip from Shameless, it's like, it's, it's sort of these new names and faces to me are sort of the vibe that we're carrying in season one. And so it felt like a ton of unnecessary stunt casting to me. It felt like everybody loved season one and 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 somebody phoned a friend who phoned a friend who phoned a friend. It's like, find something for me to do. And someone was like, okay, we're going to do this Fishes episode and let's just lock it up, knock it out the park with all the big names. Like, 
I would never take Jamie Lee Curtis out of this episode. I wouldn't take Bob Odenkirk out of this episode. I wouldn't take Gillian Jacobs because I don't think Gillian, Gillian Jacobs didn't feel like stunt casting. I'm just a community fan. So when when I see her as Richie's ex, I'm like, ah, it's Gillian. But everybody else, no disrespect. Sarah Paulson, I love you. I adore you. I didn't need you here. John, whatever your name is, uh, you know, uh, a comedian. Is it Mulvaney? Mulaney, Mulaney. Dude, I don't need you in this episode. Get these people out of this episode because all they're doing, it's like as as the big names start rolling out, there was a point in this episode where I felt like that Leonardo DiCaprio meme where he's looking at the TV and pointing and staring at it like, oh, oh, it's this big name. It's this big name. Oh, my God. You got this person? And I'm like, I don't care about who's playing these roles. You have invited me into this chaos and I want to be 10 toes down in the chaos. I don't want to be thinking about this powerhouse cast of guest actors that you've assembled for this episode. And it's a little bit frustrating because there were some, I thought, better done guest casting, including Olivia Coleman, including Robert Townsend as Sid's father, Will Poulter as Luca. Like, I feel like it just, all of the stunt casting here, it overshadowed, I think, what were what felt like more intentional and and sort of more refined. I think it's restraint is the word. If I had a word for this episode, it would be restraint. There are places where I wish they had exercised some restraint. I wish they had exercised some restraint with the casting. You pop in Jamie Lee Curtis, maybe you plop in Bob Odenkirk, but let's just let everyone else sort of be kind of upstart people that we don't know or don't sort of have like recognize like, oh, this is a big deal that this person is here and give them a shot. And so that that's my first pet peeve. That That's my first issue that I take with it. Um, I also think, so I thought about, obviously I think the corollary to this episode is review from season one. Very different, but they're both the chaotic, stressful episodes of their respective seasons. Review was a 21 minute episode. This puppy was, um, was over an hour. I I support the additional time, but I still, at my core, feel like this should have been a 45-minute episode because I don't know that I need all of the stuff with Sarah Paulson and John Mulaney. Like, some of this, like, I thought the stuff with Sarah and and Jeremy made sense because you have this family member who's like, I see your situation. Let me give you an out. But some of the stuff, it's like, I know you're just trying to give us casual banter between the family, but it's like at this point, that's not the point of this episode. The point of this episode is everything that you just spent so much time eloquently discussing. And I would kind of like to cut some of the fat from it. And that, you know, and when I say cut the fat, I'm talking about like, it's a delicious piece of steak. And yes, I want some, some, I, I want some, fatty marble in between it. And so some of it felt like fatty marble and some of it felt like I did not need this. All this did was was add to the runtime and I'm already feeling a certain way and I and I want to be done with this experience. So I take issue with that. I also think the difference between this and review is this episode needed more release valves. Like I I will go you can do the full runtime. You could put in all your guest actors, whatever. 
but you got to give me more release valves every now and then. I don't need a ton, but there's a lovely release valve with Richie and and his and his wife when they're like in the quiet room. But it's like what I love about that release valve is that even in this quiet, loving moment where we see the softer side of Richie, the room that they're in is so ridiculous and over the top, all of the leopard stuff. And it's like you're still reminded of the chaos in which we're operating. I kind of wish we'd gotten maybe one more release valve as a bookend to that release valve where we just sort of take a step back and we just get a moment to be like, whoo, okay. The Sarah Paulson, John Mulaney scenes to me, I think they were meant to be that release valve, but they did not, I did not care. I didn't give a shit about either one of them because they're not from season one. I'm not really invested in them. So I think my other release valve would have, for me, I think it's also meant to be the, Jeremy Allen White, Sarah Paulson scene. And and granted, that was also a good release valve. I would have just switched out the John Mulaney, Sarah Paulson exchanges for a different release valve involving one of the characters. Give me one with, um, what's his buns? Um, you know, the guy that fixes stuff. What is his name? Fack. Give me one with him. I want to know why... Why does Natalie, why does Sugar hate Fat, one of one of Fat's sisters? Like, give me that as a release style because these are characters that I'm going to continue on with after this episode. I'm going to continue to be invested in. I think that would have been my other change. Like I said, I think it's more of an editing and a restraint issue. But otherwise, I get it. I get why it was necessary. I'm on board with everything else. So it's just, it's little, it's like nitpicking something that is well done, but I've got gripes nonetheless. Okay. And I think that that's fair. I think that it uh, was designed to um, be gratuitous. It's gratuitous in uh, emotion. It's gratuitous in acting. It's also gratuitous in, um, like, the star's gravitas. Um, Frankly, I'm of the mind that if you can do something over the top, do something over the top. Because, just like last season, we don't know what's going to happen next. Listen. Um, <laughs> now, granted, we didn't know that this star- this show was even going to return for season two. It's, yes. So it it kind of it kind of ended in a place where we can like, say like, oh, okay, this is that's that's a cool like one season only type thing or whatever. <laughs> so even in saying that, the accessibility. And you can kind of tell, you know, from the the way that we don't know or didn't know any of, like, the third star, really, truly, the second star down, we were really not, you know, aware of who they were, right? And so, if you can get Sarah Paulson, heck yeah, I'm going to get Sarah Paulson. If you can get Jamie Lee Curtis, I'm going to get Jamie Lee Curtis. If you can get Bob Odenkirk, oh yeah, I'm getting all, I'm getting as many as I can. Why? Because if you can't be gratuitous, be gratuitous. And especially if it was good. Like, they came to act. They were acting their tails off. We were seeing, like, top-level Bob Odenkirk. The annoying Bob Odenkirk, the kind of slimy or smarmy Bob Odenkirk Odenkirk from uh, Better Off Saul. Mm -hmm. I mean, Better Call Saul, yeah. 
he was giving us Bob Odin Kirk. And so even in that, um, I, I, I didn't have, I can, again, I, I admit that it's gratuitous. It's, it's, you know, it's over the top. It's like, it's heavy handed, but shucks is good. Yeah. I just, I'm like, but you've, I, so if I think from my point of view is you've shown us the beauty and the subtlety, Robert Townsend showing up as Sid's father, Olivia Coleman randomly showing up as the magical helper for Richie. Luke, uh, Will, Will Poulter as Luca being another magical helper for, for Marcus, who we love. I, I, it was, it's, I, it's, it's, I guess to me, it's just a little bit weird. Like I, I typically do love over the top, but when you show me the beauty and the magic that you can do when you dabble more in the subtlety, then I'm like, I don't know if I love the over the top because those were the things that resonated with me more. Those were the things that stuck with me more. Those were the ones it, that, that just like hit home with me more. Like I said, I would never cut Bob from the episode. I would never cut Jamie from the episode. Do something else with, something else with Sarah Paulson. Hey, yeah, put her in a season. Put her somewhere else. Put her in another flashback. I mean, you got all this stuff. You're trying to tell us all these things about how I'm going to talk about this more later about Carmi and Claire. Like, just pop it in another episode. I just, it's like you've done this beautiful job with these other guest actors, and 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 it, and it pains me to say, you know, to even take issue with something that is over the top. But but again, I'm also like, but you're a show that is this wonderful, amazing platform to give opportunities to have people that we don't know act their ass off. And I, I want this show at its core to continue to stay committed to that because I am I am grateful for the blessing of Ayo Adebri. And I don't know that she, I mean, she would have been on my orbit because I love the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. But I don't know if that happens without her being on the bear. So I'm like, I let's stay the course with that too. So that that those are my that, those are my they are minor nitpicks, like in the grand scheme of nitpicks and in the grand scheme of like terrible shows that I've watched and discussed on this podcast. My nitpicks are things that we're talking about the difference between good and great, not trash and great. It is literally like they are minor, minor, minor nits, but I had to take them nonetheless because I need all them damn famous people in that one episode. I'm like, calm, calm down. I can't keep up. I was happy enough to see John Bernthal. Like, thank you. Thank you. Oh, Jay. Okay, Jamie Lee Curtis, come on in here. Oh, Bob. Oh, and I'm like, oh, who, child? Who all going to be here? I felt like I needed a memo on who all going to be here for this episode because I, I, I'm, and I don't want to be thinking about that when I'm watching such a powerful episode of television. I want to focus on all of the themes that you talked about. And for me, the constant parade of big names, it, it detracted. It, like, I, I think you don't get it on the second watch, but first watch a little bit, it was, it was a little bit distracting for me. So those are my qualms with fishes. Um, but I completely agree with everything you said about why the episode is so vital to understanding why these people, who they are. Like, I would never be like, don't do fishes or take it out of the season. Like, oh, no, 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 no. This is some good character development. It is as we needed it. 
And I thought it was well-timed where it fell in the season, all of that. I'm just, I'm on board with all of it. I'm just like, I don't know. I don't need a parade of stars, child. This ain't, what's some, um, them, the, the fundraising things they used to do, Lou Rawls. I don't need a Lou Rawls, um, uh, parade of stars. I, you know, I need, you know, you give me a few, but it doesn't have to be heavy hitter after heavy hitter. Like, all right, you know, slow your roll, pump your brakes a little bit. Solomon, anything else on fishes? And, and y'all will move on for fishes, but we can't, we couldn't not talk about fishes and forks. We, I mean, it's just, if you're going to talk about season two of the bear, you got to talk about both of those episodes. Um, actually, I thought that low key John Mulaney was acting his ass off. So I, uh, I get why a, Star performance or star um, guest starring could be like distracting, but I was seeing like I I was able to, except for Sarah Paulson because she was underused in that in that episode. Everybody else, they work. They work. I mean, without question, like nobody put on a bad performance, but I'm just like. I don't know, child, like budget, like, like you leverage your resources wisely. Let's not shoot the wad all on one is, I guess is kind of how I felt. Um, for it. Shucks. Which, Go for it. And, and like I said, it pains me to like, to not be all in on something that's totally over the top, but I'm like, child, I'm tired. Like this episode has already like literally drained me. I think that what happens is like it did what season one did for the like the continuous the one scene take um it, it just kept be that like the madness kept building yeah oh there are like i said the release valves are not there no Which i appreciate it because it made you feel like you were in carmy's brain where there was you don't get a break from this this is, I mean, like literally to the end of the episode where the car drives through the house, you don't get a break. Yeah. Carmi doesn't get a break. Sugar doesn't get a break. Mikey doesn't get a break. Like nobody gets a break from this. And because of the way that our relationships are intertwined and intermeshed, uh, we feel like we have to stay um, engaged for all of it. Mm-hmm. So. Anyway, no, that's all I got for Fishes. Fishes, uh, like I said, and I've said this on Twitter, I don't take it back. It's one of the best episodes of television I've ever seen. And and I agree with that. I just, like I said, I have my nitpicks are are it's like good and great. It's like it's a good episode, and and I love everything that it did. But yeah, it, no disrespect to John Mulaney, because he, he you could have put somebody I didn't know in that role and maybe give them a chance. Like I like I said, I loved sort of the the upstart feeling of the first season. And I just don't want this to be a show where, I don't know, child, because I don't know, they come back for season three and they give me like Viola Davis, Carrie Washington, um, you know, Denzel. I, I'm probably going to be like, well, that was the best thing I've ever seen. I'm probably not going to complain as much. So let me just shut my tail up because... <laughs> If we gonna have like a family reunion for Sid's family, you gonna give me like give me like what was the Robert Townsend comedy specials? Like if you gonna have like a Sid family reunion, you give me Robert Townsend, The Wayans, David yeah. Allen Greer. I I'll be on this thing. Be like I don't care. I know what I said about fishes. I said what I said, and I'm saying what I said now. <laughs> so. 
<laughs> so I will, I will recognize the opportunities that, that might lead me to some hypocrisy down the road. <laughs> Completely. If, 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 if the stars change, then so do your feelings. And, and I think that might be a little bit of it as well. D- despite the fact that I do respect, you know, the folks that were in this episode, no disrespect to any of them. But like I said, you know, you give me a black ass family reunion, I might feel a little bit different. Okay. So, I mean, listen, Solomon, we've talked a lot about, we've talked about character development. We've talked about episodes, fish, fishes and forks, which I think in that there's so much character development layered into it that we have explored. But I do want to just, you know, take the space and just ask you, you know, we have talked a lot about how much we loved Richie's arc. So I guess I'll just reframe the question a little bit and just ask you, are there any other character arcs that you enjoyed, that you that you liked, that we haven't kind of teased out in the conversation thus far that you want to that you want to talk about now? Or if you want to, if you want to say more things about Richie, I that is a song that I'm always here for. Turn it up, that's my jam. I'm here for that too. Um, no, I think Richie like, um, that yeah, that was good and necessary. Um, and I think Carmi does what Carmi needs to do in this season. I think Marcus is probably the one. Like, his story is right there on the cusp. And where we end is setting him up for a very interesting spiral. I am, like, listen, we're supposed to, you know, reserve. I I, I like to reserve my prayer circles for, for actual people. But I would be remiss if I didn't say I would absolutely like assemble a prayer circle for Marcus because Marcus is going to need it. Um, I thought a lot about. So I, I'm going to jump ahead again. Of you know, let's just get to it because there's a, there's a point in our conversation where I wanted to ask you about what your favorite episode was. I think it goes without saying that you enjoyed Vicious a lot. I had a different favorite episode, and my favorite episode. Um, was actually the episode where Marcus goes to Copenhagen. Um, it, it was just... Honeydew, it's just so, again, going back to how I said I felt from this season, the feeling of love, Honeydew was just love. It was just, it was a love supreme because I love Marcus. I love Marcus with my entire heart. He is a fictional character that I might actually go to war over on social media. Like, I just will not endure anyone telling me that they don't love Marcus with their entire soul. And it was so lovely getting this opportunity to see him travel abroad, expand his skills. I want to shout out Chester, who is an amazing friend. Y'all, not too many friends going to take you to the airport. Not in the era of Lyft and Uber. A friend who takes you to the airport, drops you off, ensures that you got your passport, and agrees to check on your ailing mama in your absence. Chester, baby, shout out to you because you are good peoples and you are the type of friend that I absolutely want in Marcus's life. But the thing that that struck me, and I, I think it's there's a point where he has a conversation. I can't, I don't think it's Chester, I think it's Sydney, where he talks about how he has this nightmare 
about how someone, you know, the nurse is trying to reach him. People are trying to reach him because something terrible has happened to his mom and they can't reach him. And then for that to happen, shifting, I'm going to come back to Honeydew, but I want to take this detour because, because that's where we were starting. I am so worried because it is the manifestation of his worst nightmare when you see in that finale that Christy has been trying to reach Marcus repeatedly. And I don't think there is there is only one reasonable interpretation. And that interpretation would be that Marcus's mom has gone on up to the to the upper room. Um so I am so worried mm-hmm. about Marcus in season three. And so the good question is like, okay, what does he do with that now? Because, like, every second counts becomes, like, his motto. But what happens when you miss one of those seconds? How do you rebound? Because the reality is, life is real. And you can feel guilty about doing good things with your life. Because you miss those things which allow you to do those good things with your life. Yeah. Life is real. Yes. And it's real for Marcus. Um, And so the question is, like, how do I rationale the guilt that I have for not being able to spend every waking moment with my mom versus, like, I got to live my life? How, how How do I manage that? And those are parts of the conversation that nobody tells you that the other side of accomplishment is some things that you're going to miss. You're going to miss and you're going to sacrifice. Right. That I mean, it's it, that's the cost. We've been talking a lot throughout the course of this. What is the cost? Because the cost is also, it's for Sydney, it's like, what do I get? But it's also about the cost. But it's also about what she, it, it's, it's, it is about, the cost. And I think it's a good topic to be on coming fresh off, a, off of a conversation about fishes because I, 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 I respect these writers. I trust these writers, which is why they should be paid. And so I fully expect this ain't going to be smoothed over. This isn't going to be, what is, you know, this isn't going to be no crystal stare, you know, uh, shout out to Langston Hughes. This is going to be rough for him. And I would be, I'd be disappointed if they smoothed it over or lampshade. And this isn't that show. They're not doing that on this show. But the other part about that is it needs to be rough because what you're developing is not what you did yesterday. There has to be a grit. There has to be, like, there have there have to be some, like, you got to have some in in there. There's got to be something in your belly, a fire, that's going to push you to the next level. Yeah. For able to go to where they say they are trying to go, they got to have some, some hills, they got to have some mountains, and they got to have some valleys. Yes. And so... Because you're going to bring all of that to this idea of excellence. You're going to bring all of that to the idea of competency, the idea of skill, to the idea of art, 
Like if this is just gonna be like a a, a meat and three, like a you know like a meat and three mm-hmm. vegetable, right? Like you don't need you can you can like just you can forget about you know having to sacrifice anything, having to go through anything. But if you're gonna take this to the next level, you're gonna have to reach down inside of yourself and pull up something that you didn't think you had before. This is Marcus' time. It is. It is. And you I don't have to work for it this time. Yeah. And I and I worry a little about him, but it, so part of me, I worry about him, but it also gives me comfort that he is in a universe and he is in an environment where he has Carmi. Because there are some similarities, I think, with the both of them and sort of their obsessive natures and how things can just completely consume them. And so I'm hoping that that that's one of the things that helps him. It's not getting on the other side. When you're talking about grief, and I've talked about this, you know, I lost my dad last year. You don't get, it's not the other side. It's not getting over it. You learn to live with it. It is a weight. It's like putting on a weighted vest and you're never going to take it off. But you, you get stronger, you adjust, and you learn how to forge ahead with the weight on you. And so I trust these writers with that journey, but because I love Marcus, it is it's it, they gonna take us through it. I, I feel like they are gonna definitely take us through it with him. So, yeah. Um, I mean, we talked a lot about what the writers got right this season, which was so it was a lot. It was a lot. But I mean, Solomon, were there any characters whose arcs this season left something to be desired for you? Mm. Okay. I got I took down notes. Hold on, let me go back to my notes. Okay. And and while you're looking at that, I'm gonna also say shout out to us because we had our wish list for season two. And I feel like the writers gave us what what we wanted with sugar because we wanted to know more about Natalie. Natalie is not taking up space with the people in her life, but she is taking up more space on this show. And I felt like that was our collective wish for her going into season two. And we definitely let, left this season knowing more about who she is, why she is. And, and so I just, I am so grateful for, for, for walking out of the season with that because it was a delight to it, to experience. Sugar was like art on the wall, but like sugar is actually in the house now. Mm-hmm. We get, we get like sugar was wallpaper season one. Yep. Sugar, like a whole fleshed out character with like all of the stuff. She, yeah, she, she's a delight. I love that because on my like character arcs that left something to be desired. I got some folks. I have at least one person on my list that I want to get back into the furniture role before I get to my, my pick. What 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 were your what was your thoughts about any arcs that left something to be desired? Ibrahim. You and me, I never part. Like, like yes, he was on my like he was on my list. I got two people. Ibra was he was on my list. Why was he on your list, Solomon? Oh, I felt like they they allowed him to to kind of. They, they allowed him to take the easy way out without unpacking what about his experiences in life makes him so hesitant. Mm-hmm. 
why couldn't he find, cultivate, dig for courage? Yeah. Especially when they're give the writers are telling us that Tina is there for them. If if he, I think if he had, and I, we need to know. And I, and I think the thing that concerns me a little bit um, with Ibra and and I just finished saying I trust these writers. I don't know that I understand what the level of investment is of the writers with that character. And so it's hard for me to tell whether it's a lampshade and and we're supposed to be content with the fact that he does sandwiches and we're never going to explore, you know, why he, why things went with him this season. I don't know that I, I feel, I, I don't have a lot of confidence in that. And so to that point, I'll name the other character whose arc left a little bit, not a little bit, but actually quite a bit to be desired with me. And that was Sweeps. I mean, literally, like you talk about like art on the wall. There is literally a scene, and I think it's episode one or two, where he's trying to like take down something from the wall. It falls to the ground. And I think it's the last thing that we see from him until he like resurfaces, I think, towards the very end. And he's now magically part of the new team with the new restaurant. And listen, I get it. it it's it's there are a lot of characters on the on the, you know on the slate here and and we have to sort of take some of our leads and we've got to dig in further and we got to expand their universes but let there be no mistake at least for me I am deeply invested with our core beef crew from season one and I would like a, a, a world in which in which they're all honored and teased out and respected and they're not and they're not parts of the you know parts of that cast that just sort of become an afterthought and sweeps absolutely felt like I had to look up his name I was like what is that brother's name like I'm you know I I had to look it up because they just literally did nothing with him and I'm like like I said I'm invested in OG team beef original beef so I I I don't want any of them to fall by the wayside. It doesn't mean they have to be the star of the season. It doesn't mean they have to have multiple episodes in which we focus on them. But I do think I'm invested in them in enough that I want to know what's happening with them. Right. I think that's... Yeah. I don't want that to just be sort of an afterthought. And I'm a little bit worried. I, I don't know... I guess I just hope at least the brother that plays Sweeps gets invited to come back um, in season three because it wasn't feeling good um, for me. And then I guess maybe this is now the time. I want to get into Carmi. Um, I It's not that I have issues with Carmi's arc because I actually think so much of what Carmi experienced, it totally made sense, particularly after Fishes. It's like for this person at this juncture in their life, having experience what they've experienced, the choices that the writers are making, they make sense. They totally make sense. But then there's that part of me that's just like at home with my chips, my snacks, and I'm watching it. And I'm like, there was a point. It was the episode where he stood up, said, I'm like, am I about to rebrand this entire podcast and my social media presence as a Carmi hate account? Because I'm annoyed. Like, you're, like, you're a terrible partner. 
to Natalie and Sid. And, and I talked about that at the top of the episode, but I want to get into it a little bit more on a granular level um, because what really pissed me off, it was episode three because I have to have specific notes when he didn't show up with Sid. And then it's like they're texting each other and he says, sorry, have to bail today. Keep jamming on hiring or just take the day off, whatever you want. What the hell you mean, whatever the fuck you want, Carmi? You the one that came up with this aggressive-ass opening schedule, and you told your, your financial partner, if we don't do X, Y, and Z after 18 months, you get all of this back, and you get to get your little $2 million. Like, this is your vision that we are executing. Like, you know how aggressive this schedule is, and you just being blase with me, let's take the day off or whatever. What the fuck? What the, there ain't no days off, sir. There are no days off. We don't have that luxury. And you know, Sid, you know that she's not going to be like, oh, let me just get back in bed and turn on some reality TV. And, 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 you know, on my special days, I'm like, I'm going to make me some waffles or some pancakes. I'm going to say, I'm going to make me a breakfast. That's going to lend itself to a midday nap. Sid ain't having any of those kind of days. She didn't She didn't do that. And you know that's not who she is. I thought it was also super rude to be like, you know, whatever you want. What, what do you mean, sir? That is not the response. And she has texted you several times. And now you're just chiming in because you're all frolicking about with this woman who I just really, I, I have a whole lot of things to say about her, but I'm going to keep that for the appropriate segment. But I was annoyed with Carmi in that moment. And I say that as someone who still sees the love that Carmi poured into these people. Because without Carmi, you don't get Marcus in Copenhagen. Without Carmi, we don't get Richie on his path and forks. I see where even though he is tied up with his own crap and his own baggage. He's still trying to give what he can. So I acknowledge it, but I'm still annoyed because, sir, you just don't tell me. Just keep jamming on hiring. I'm sorry. How is it like that? Like, and, and Sid did exactly what I would have done. I wouldn't have said anything. I would have just done the little thumbs up. Like, okay, you know what? Because if I say what I want to say, you about to get a retroactive tail and all because you about to get it all. You about to get this. You about to get the anger for the day. And you about to get probably retroactively all of the other times when I don't feel like you've shown up as a partner. I'm going to lay you out. But I'm not going to do that because I'm tired and I have things to do. So I don't have the luxury of being like, do what the fuck? Like you said you were going to do this with me. Could you maybe, I don't know, more artfully present um, your your notification that you cannot do this thing anymore? I was annoyed. I'm sorry, y'all. Oh, seen, felt, attacked, heard, exposed. This was definitely a moment where I think I was experiencing all those things in that text exchange. And I think that was when I briefly reconsidered my entire purpose in life and rebranding as a a hate person for a fictional character. I'm going to stop going off on Carmi for a second. And I'm going to let my guest. <laughs> but this is like reflect of the ways that we build dysfunction, entrepreneurship. Okay, so we do things and say construct like event horizons are unrealistic and unreasonable for people to actually do. And we say that if you just work hard enough, you know, if you push yourself to the max, 
if you, you know, disregard, you know, if you don't sleep and don't eat and just keep your nose to the grindstone, then you'll be able to, then you might have like a snowflake's chance in hell to pull this off. And we give a priority and prioritize like dysfunction like that. And Sid is no better because she buys into it. And we're no better because we also buy into it. And like even the guy who's, well, I forgot the, the guy who's financing, what's his name? Oh, it's the Oliver Platt character. Uh, Jimmy. Like I think it's I think it's Jimmy. I think it's Uncle Jimmy, right? So so like Jimmy even tells him, like, at best, this is gonna ruin your life. And we have allowed and keep allowing this to be like rather than a career or rather than a job, it's an obsession. Yes. Yes. And so for me, what what we see in Carmi is he's not he's not addicted to like making good food. He's addicted to the obsession. Yes. And he never disconnects from that obsession. And so now he's in the freezer at the, you know, in the last episode. Yeah. And the one thing that he says is, oh, I think I've done this to myself. And on the surface level, the thing that he thinks he's done to himself is lock himself in the freezer. Of course. No. The thing that he's actually done to himself is become addicted. Mm Mm-hmm become obsessed with this thing. Yes. Yeah. And he's got provisions for health in his life. Mm-hmm. He he room for partnership. He has no room for error. He has no room for accident. He has no room for, for slack. No. Because everything in his life is, is, is they're moving towards being, oh, chef, this is most excellent. But the reality is that life is real and sometimes it's not most excellent. And how do you deal with that? Yes. Yes. And for as much, I told y'all I had my issues with fishes. But for me, that whole meltdown that he had is why fishes is so important. Because it's, it could, because to your point, like, you know, you know, there's Mikey plus there is what I think her name is. I think it's Donna. I think this is is the mother's name. There's the plus version of her and you see the inklings of it in Carmi and fishes, but you see it full blown lock, stock, barrel all in, in that, in that meltdown in the freezer. And that's why fishes is so important because you understand, you understand why it happens, but you also, it, to me, it gave really interesting insight into the things that he said, a lot of what you've just highlighted, because I'm like, if, if I just, if I just had a transcript of, of, of what 
the mom said in fishes and what he said in that room. And someone was like, are these the same people or are these two different people? I'd be like, it's that meme with Pam from the office. It's the same picture. And, and so that's why fishes is so important because you need to understand it's not just what he's saying, but it's the why and how he gets there. So, so listen, Fish's fans, I'm on your side. I'm on the defense squad. Just take some, just, just get some of them people out of that damn episode. Okay. Completely agree. Um, so, yeah. So, I, I, we need to hash that out. And also for Sid, I, I want to go back to something you said about how Sid, even though you, we are like, this is so wrong, you deserve better. But Sid is also accepting it. It's, it's something... I had my mom laughing because, I mean, I think I heard on the wire, but it's not an uncommon thing. I talked to her about, I often talk to her about how she does not have to eat shit sandwiches in life. Um, and and how if she's in a situation and someone's presenting her with a shit sandwich, she can just say, no, you don't have to accept these shit sandwiches. And someone, when someone puts a shit sandwich on the platter in front of you, you can tell them I don't want to eat it. But Cindy was eating some of these shit sandwiches. And, and, and you know... Listen, no one should be serving you a shit sandwich, but sometimes you need to call a shit sandwich what it is and tell the person, I know you're serving me a shit sandwich. I'm not going to eat the shit sandwich. And sometimes I really wanted her to do that with Carmi. And she would just sort of, sort of, you could literally see her swallowing it. And I deeply relate to it because Sydney is still a baby. Like I, I'm assuming Sydney is probably still in her 20s. And I'm like, yeah, uh, the wee baby Jocelyn in her 20s would have swallowed her fair share of shit sandwiches because it's just what you do. Jocelyn in her 40s is like, no, what we're not going to do, what you're going to do is take your shit sandwich and go to hell. And I, I will find an artful way to tell you to do so. But nonetheless, I'm not eating a shit sandwich and I'm going to call you out because I know you're serving me a shit sandwich. But it was frustrating to watch Sydney sometimes sort of willingly gobble them down because it's it, it's not a stand up, but it's like I completely understand why she's doing it. And it's part of her arc. It's part of her journey. But whew, it was a it was a lot. It was a lot. It was a lot. It was a lot to deal with. And I'm I'm really curious to see professionally where that partnership goes with Sid and Carmi in season three. Um, but I am glad that I mean there that, that there were moments towards the end where they do seem to get on one accord again. But to your point, like you know, it's still. Even if you can get on the same page with your partner, it doesn't erase what's happened. And I want to see a little bit more of that. And I guess to that point, we've talked about our favorite episodes. Um, so I'm going to jump ahead. We have talked a lot about what we enjoyed for this from this season, what worked for us. Is there anything, Solomon, that 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 you just want to highlight that, that you enjoyed from the season that we haven't discussed already? Mm. Oh, yeah. So they found a uh, Marcus and see it found a like um moment of commonality when they said um uh, Josh is smoking crack in the alley. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and so Marcus is saying to see it, I think I have to fire him. And so he didn't know if he could fire him. So he's like, hold on, I think I, I think I have to fire you. Hold on, I'll be right back. Yeah. <laughs> see this, oh, yeah, you definitely have to fire that guy for smoking crack in the alley. Um, 
But we know the drug use is something that's like prevalent in like yes. Yes. Very realistic, but but yes, it's like, sir, crap. Especially for, okay, because listen, if you have any awareness of like the era of Reaganomics and, you know, like, listen, there has been, there have been entire days of discourse on Twitter about like, black people, we don't fuck with crap. Like, and, no. and I will never forget every now and then on Twitter, there is someone who will pop up and be like, you all judge crack too hardly. It's, it's, it's in, it's, it's a drug, just like Coke and all of the others. We shouldn't judge people so harshly. And it's not that we judge people because it's addictive. It's an, so no much judging people that struggle with crack, but the context in which this person was trying to say it was like, you know, no one bats an eye. In certain professional circles, whether it's like Wall Street or even in legal circles where someone does a line of coke, no one should bat an eye if someone smokes a little crack. And it's like, we have just not been raised and socialized like that. And and let there be no mistake, we don't get down with coke either. But so you're you're not going to win us over <laughs> with an argument that is premised on like, why don't we treat like casual crack usage like we treat casual coke usage because we we just don't do that and I say that without judgment to people that have addictions and struggles that's not what I'm talking about I'm talking about if you are in certain professional circles people like yeah I'll do a line of coke or I think in this day and era it might it might be like abusing Adderall and and things of that nature when you don't have a proper like diagnosis and a prescription but either way for black people, we just don't get these luxuries to be like, oh, it's just it's just smoking a little crack. Are you just taking a little line? We don't. That's not how we was raised, y'all. I'm just telling y'all. Like, I, I try not to speak in generalities. And Solomon can challenge me if I'm wrong. But that's just not how. That's just not. That's just not our ministry. It is just not. Um, You know. I mean, mm, crack. <laughs> just. I can't let you in here with this crack. I can't. I, if that means you had it up on you, I can't let you in here with this crack. So, yes. immediately, no. I love that it was the black characters having that conversation. I was like, someone in the writer's room, they get it. Like, they, it's like the folks that get it, they get it. And it, and it did sort of add this extra layer of humor that it was Sydney and Marcus having that conversation in particular about the cat, the, quote unquote casual crack usage because I think he was like I just use this to get me through it's like um this person who is definitely an avowed addict of caffeine I understand that we all have our things that we need like for some people it's sugar for some people it's like processed flour for me it's caffeine I get it girl Crack has done some some interesting things to a lot of our families, and so immediately no. Yeah, and I think that is the perfect note. Immediately no. <laughs> okay. So for me, one of the things that I I just really wanted to quickly touch on that I did enjoy from this season. So I have lupus, and it's not very often that like lupus gets pulled into fictional narratives. I think one of the the best depictions of lupus that I've ever seen was actually on The Shield where 
the CCH Pounder character had lupus and it was this amazing portrayal of how like you, because it's sometimes what I think, you know, people talk about like invisible sickness or invisible disabilities where like you could, at, you know, surface level, you can look as though you're okay, you're functional, you're good. Like people can look at you and think nothing is wrong, but a, 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 a little peek into your personal life when you are struggling with chronic illness, including chronic illness like lupus, it can be a whole different story. Like, like what little energy or strength you have, you might be putting into your appearance with others, but it can mean the dishes have backed up. It can mean you haven't done laundry in months. It, it can, it can translate to so many things because it can really kick your ass. And, and, and there was absolutely a time, like the research slowly but surely has come a long way. The advancements have, you know, how we treat it has come a long way, but there was absolutely an era where that diagnosis could mean that your prospects for a long life were not great. And so I love that that was part of this season with respect to Sydney's mom who did pass away because of lupus. And like I said, it's someone who we call ourselves in the loop. It's someone in the loop. I, I appreciate it because it is a very specific thing that when you look at the statistics, it's like it's Black women, Latino women, and Asian women are usually the ones that you know, have the higher diagnosis and, and are hit the hardest. So I appreciated that was pulled, you know, that, that was part of the story. We don't get into it, but it was like, oh, thank you. You know, like, you know, there's like it, this is a thing that people have, they're diagnosed with. And so I, you know, I appreciate it. Uh, that being sort of part of the story with Sydney and her mom and, and, you know, just thinking, cause it, like I said, I think for black women in particular, it, for those of us who have been diagnosed, it, it's, it's a, like sickle cell. Like, and there's just certain things where it's like, ooh, it hits home because you probably know someone, you know, in your family or someone that looks like you that have that have had a diagnosis like that. And it's nice to not be forgotten in sort of the fictional landscape. So yeah, that was my only little thing about, you know, what I liked and what I thought worked well in the season. That's what's up, yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, I had this whole question about fiction, not documentary, but we touched on that because we talked about the magical helpers. So I'm going to just skip right on over the magical helpers question. Um, we talked about what didn't work for us, you know, in the season. So, oh, okay. I'm really excited for this question. And y'all, we are in the home stretch now. But listen, Solomon, there's no way I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you. And, and you, it can be multiple quotes. But it's your kitchen, Solomon. What's your sign going to read? We've talked about every second counts. What does the sign in your kitchen read? And you are—you can have multiple signs. Uh, you know what? Actually, I thought about this for a minute, but I actually believe that I'm going to get a let it rip sign for my uh, my study. Um. Yeah, I, I I just like let it rip. I I think it's a, an awesome way to encapsulate just effectively going forward. I like it, and it's a really I listen. I love let it rip. I love every second counts. I mean, I thought both of them were were really really. I mean, again, a testament to the writers who should be paid. Uh, you know, uh, big wigs stop stop the bullshit. Pay these people. Um. You can, a, a chat bot, a GPT chat, 
isn't going to generate this kind of content. So, you know, I don't want whatever the hell you think AI is going to offer us. So in, in honor of Coach K's book, Getting Sit Through This Season, I decided to go with words from writers whose words I keep close to me. So I've told y'all before in this podcast, I've talked about my history with Maya Angelou, how she was my professor at Wake Forest, how I took two courses with her, how I got my first post um, undergrad internship because of her. And, and when I'm having this moment with her and I'm talking to her and she's like telling me, I'll get you, uh, you want to go work for a magazine? Here's my home phone number. Call me tonight. I'll have opportunities to present for you. And I'm just sitting there gobsmacked. Like, why are you doing this for me? I'm just your student. I don't understand why any of this has happened. And she said something to me that always resonated with me and I keep it and I think about it when I'm trying to pour back into others. And she said to me, I'm here to be used, not abused. We are here to be used. And I think that, you know, we we are vessels. We have ways in which we can help others, but it doesn't have to be abusive. And I honestly think that's a message that Sydney and Natalie need to hear. Girl, you can be used, but don't let them abuse you. And so that would be on my kitchen. Um. My other one is from one of another person that I met sort of in my prior life before law school, a, a historian who is beloved, whose, whose autobiography I love so much and made me cry and filled me with so much love like this season. I loved it so much. I did not finish the book because I didn't want to finish it because it was, it was so good. And it's Dr. John Hope Franklin. Um, Y'all, I keep telling y'all, get his autobiography. It is such a testament to like humanity. Like if you are feeling low and feeling like the world is a terrible place, get his autobiography and read it. Um, Because this is a man who was, who, Grew up in Tulsa, Oklahoma, Oklahoma. Who who survived the Tulsa massacre? Who then goes on this like beautiful life journey to becoming a historian? And it's like it's so serendipitous. And there are these places in his life where he needs someone to take a chance on him, or he needs someone to 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 help him break a barrier to 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 you know help racism not do what racism does and 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 the universe aligns and it happens and you will be in tears and so one of my favorite quotes from John Hope Franklin is love each other regard each other as family if there was a sentiment that i think comes out of his life in that book it's that and i also think it's a lovely sentiment for any professional environment, but particularly this environment with these characters, because they are without question a chosen family. So that would be on my kitchen. And then the other one also comes from a writer, but shout out to Candace Patton, because I actually got it from her and then I had to research it. But it's the one that probably resonates the most with me. And just simply put, do no harm, but take no shit. A mantra, a way of life. And, and it's another thing that I think that Sid and, and Natalie could probably need to hear. Like, yep, you want to help others, but you ain't got to take their shit, girl. You do not have to take it. Um, all right. So that's our kitchen signs. Solomon, any other thoughts? I want to ask you what's on your wish list for season two. But before we, I mean, season three, but before we get to that, I just want to do one last sweep to ask you if there's any other thoughts that you have about season two that we haven't we haven't discussed. 
I thought season two was better than season one. Agree. You and me are never part. Like, yes, yes. I, we, you, me, we see each other. And, and I mean, what a feat that is. Because season one was fantastic. Again, pay these writers and pay these actors, even the actors that I told y'all I would cut from that, that can that episode, pay them. Stop with the crap. Pay them. Pam, AI can't do this. Solomon, what's on your wish list for season three? Um, okay, so people were under the impression that season two was doing like, like kind of like a soapish melodrama thing. Mm. Mm. But in reality, season two was doing anime. Okay. 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 So in season one, there was a return of like this hero to a place where he had been um, discarded, chased away. So it's a returning hero kind of trope. Mm-hmm. In season one, he has to make friends and he's making allies uh, and he's, you know, like gathering a crew. To, to overcome an enemy. Uh, in season one, the enemy was like, we're trying to not go out of business. In season two, we have to refine the business and take it to another level. But in order to do that, they all have to go and acquire and get more new skills. So they disperse. Yeah. They go and get new skills. So effectively, they're doing like Dragon Ball Z. They're doing One Piece. They're doing, you know, like any type of anime that you, I mean, you probably don't watch anime. It's fine. Oh, Somebody, Solomon, I'm going to give some, an, I'm going to give two anime recommendations because you have inspired me because I do anime. That's what's up. Okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> so they're doing like power scaling. Mm-hmm. And so for season three, uh, what happens at the end of season two is a crisis of confidence. So yeah. Carmi has confidence. He's like this super powerful person in, in season one. There's all these skills and abilities. He's like awesome. And people are wondering, why are you here? Like yeah. what brought you to place? What, what are you here to fight? In season two, we discovered that the enemy is within the, the the calls are coming from inside the house. Yes, I this to myself. That's that's effectively Naruto uh, Shippuden. Um, and so in season three, it's about coming to terms with your own demons. Mm-hmm. For Sid, who runs outside and she's throwing up, is coming to terms with your own demons. Like, can you handle the success that you said you you wanted and you you said that you were like after? Um, for Marcus is how do you overcome losing, um, you know, a, a person who you love mm-hmm. uh, or for cousin, it's how do you now manage the relationships when people are around you and you just saw this happen with Mikey are like flipping, right? So how do we now manage care? Yeah. How do you bounce back from the things Carmi said to him? Right. 
Right. Which I, I, it's part of me is like, it's not that I think they might lampshade it, but given Richie would go back to those holiday dinners time and time again, he may not feel the hurt that I feel like he should feel because he, it might resonate with him on a level that, that Carmi's mom resonated with him. It, it, he may not, I, I'm preparing myself for a set of circumstances in, under which he doesn't react or, or absorb it the way that I think that I would because he has clearly shown a high tolerance for this kind of chaos that I that is not, maybe it's not intentionally abusive, but it feels abusive nonetheless um, in terms of what's said. The other part of that is, okay, it's also for Carl because what worked then won't work now. Yep. He's got to learn how to divest from ruining, exhausting, and straining relationships because he's tired, because he's overworked, because he's in a stressful situation, because that's not how we uh, communicate our anxieties. Yeah. So again, learning how, like, you you got to bring some tools to this. You can't just, like, it's, it's somebody saying, oh, well, you know, we going to have, um, you know, a, uh, a healthy relationship, but you keep doing unhealthy things. You can't keep doing unhealthy things, Carmen. You did this in season one with Sid. You're doing this in season two with Cousin. Like, you gotta, you gotta, it's, it's you. It's you. It, yeah, 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 exactly. It's you. That's, oh, I want that for season three. I, I want that. And and I think that that feels like the natural progression. It feels like that's where the writers are, are very clearly signaling that that's where we're going in season three. That would be, to me, the logical next step would be him embracing and sort of facing that. Um, I... Listen, I it, this is not me being insensitive to their mama, but I would just I my wish for season three is healing for sugar. She greatly deserves it. I would love her to find the strength to wish her mom well and then send her off with a hearty go fuck yourself. I don't have to accept this. Um, I don't have to yearn for your approval. Um, I, I want I want Natalie to find a way past that. However, she gets there. I want her to get there and and. We're off to a, she's, she just did so much in this season. So I'm just excited about the next chapter for her. But I, I want Natalie to embrace boundaries sometimes. And, and, and the other thing on my list is what we mentioned before, which was original birth me- merchandise, not original beef merchandise. <laughs> um, And, oh, anime. Okay. So if you like anime that I, if that will like kick you in the guts and just make you just that will destroy you for me it's all of evangelion like if evangelion is is i don't know that there are a few things that i've watched that have destroyed me more than evangelion so i i i give you that warning but if that's your thing i highly encourage it it's so good but it also destroyed me it's oh, it is stressful yes yes Yes, if you are not in a crisis of some sort, you might be in one after you watch Evangelion because that's what it does to you. And I also love this series called um, Mushishi, 
it was about this guy. It's like, it's what, it, what I loved about Mushishi was it, is that it was episodic. Like everything would be contained in like one episode. So you could literally just pick an episode, watch it. You didn't know, you need to know, you didn't need to know what happened in the episode before, what happens in the next episode would never matter. But it's about this guy named Ginko who dedicates himself to keeping people protected from like supernatural elements. But that's like surface level. Like the things that he would experience each episode, they would be deep. Some of them were, would like make you cry. Like Mushishi was my jam. So those are my anime recommendations to add to the properties that Solomon has already um, has already reviewed and has already talked about during the course of our conversation. I love me some anime. I, it's yeah, yeah. I uh, and like I said, I I have not revisited Evangelion in a while. I, there's part of me that wants to do it, but I'm like, am I ready to be destroyed? And I don't like. Mm, maybe I'm not ready to be destroyed quite yet. Okay, y'all. We have one last segment. And it is my favorite segment because it's where we go from our wholesome thoughts to our less than wholesome thoughts. We're going to get thirsty. This third segment is going to be a little bit different because Solomon and I have now talked about the beef season two for nearly two and a half hours, which I told Solomon, I can do this in an hour and a half. And he has been very gracious. So we're going to be real efficient, but we're going to get into the shipping questions because babies, y'all have been at war. You shippers, bless your hearts. Baby, we need y'all to come home from war. So so Solomon and I are going to unpack some of these shipping questions in our third segment. But before we do that, Solomon, would you please kindly tell folks where they can find, follow, and support you on the social media? Um, I am all over the internet at Solomon, Missouri. Um, the website is Solomon, Missouri. The Patreon is um, Solomon, Missouri. Uh, yeah, so you can follow me there. You can literally Google me, Solomon, Missouri, and I am there. Okay. I will link to that in the show notes. Are you now? So I'm on some of these. Are you on Blue Sky? No, you are on, on Blue Sky. I think we follow each other on Blue Sky. I'm on Blue Sky. I'm like, I'm slowing down, joining new stuff. Others. Yeah, I've just, it's, it's, I just need a, a moment. Same, same. Cause I went to Blue Sky. I went to Hive. I went to Mastodon. Uh, I went to Spill and I looked at Spill and I'm like, this is like early days Black Planet, which is really chaotic in a lot of ways that I don't know that I'm ready to revisit as a woman of my age. So, and, and at its core, we built a community on Twitter. So it's kind of like, that's where I'm going to be. So I will link to Solomon stuff in our show notes. Y'all, I mean, honestly, I cannot imagine there's anyone listening that is not following him. But I guess if you have, if you have not made this, this, this positive decision for your life, I highly encourage you to do so. Um, and as for this podcast, more wide pod on all of the things, but most, but right now, most active on Twitter Tumblr, IG, and I'm starting to do, I'm going to start doing video captions and I'm going to do some for this episode. I'll post those on TikTok, but it's more wine pod at all those places. I usually put my personal account in the, in the bios, but I don't care if you follow me on my personal account because it is what it is. Like I, you know, I'm just over there being chaotic and like quote tweeting people. I'm usually the ghost in the quote tweets that someone can't see um, because I'm on private on Twitter on my personal account. Okay. Third segment. Solomon, uh, not Solomon, uh, I'm going to address you, but let me start with the folks that might be new to this. Each week, we shift from our wholesome thoughts to our less than wholesome thoughts about who we thought was hot from a particular show or property we're covering. We're going to do maybe a little bit of that here, but it, what I really, y'all, like this week, we're going to do like maybe one traditional thirst prompt, and the rest of the time, we have got to, we have got to gently invite the shippers to come home from war. Your families miss you. 
Um, so, but it's where we talk about, you know, people that we're like, hey, I would take that person on a date or I would give them one of Marcus's delicious desserts. Um, so, oh, oh yeah, I definitely want to do this one because this is one of my favorites because it's one that I think a lot, think about a lot that I probably shouldn't give so much thought to. All right. Solomon, Carmen got an opportunity to go down memory lane and rekindle slash revisit his feelings for Claire. In honor of Carmen and Claire, Solomon, I am granting you a time machine to go to any period of time and see if you have a spark with any crush of your choice. More than one is okay. It's a time machine, Solomon. That means they could be dead or alive. You have the ability to maybe go back in time and dirty Mac. A current date thirst pick who is currently partnered. I mean, listen, y'all, speaking about, like, going back to the topic of Solomon's amazing social media presence, y'all need to go check out his his thread on Richard Lawson because Richard Lawson is out here hustling backwards. I don't know what happened, but I, let's just pray that the beauty and elegance of his daughter, Bianca Lawson, will help, I don't know, get him through these days and, 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 and help him... Child, Richard, you don't want to be out in these streets. You just don't. Not now. You don't want to be out in these streets, Richard. This ain't about pegging. This is something more complicated, Richard. And Solomon has broken it down for you. So you need to go follow Solomon because, like I said, amazing thread on Richard Lawson. Um, But Solomon, give me, who who are you? Who's on your list? Who, who are you using this time machine to have some fun with? Ah, oh, I can go back in time. And let me see who is on the list. Oh, no. Oh, you know what? Oh, I have always had a crush on Lisa Nicole Carson. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, she fine. She fine, fine. That gal, yeah. Mm-hmm. Ooh. Okay. Listen, y'all. So, okay, I'm gonna go on one detour and then I'm gonna bring you back to my list. But when I was in undergrad, one summer, I did a class where we read books from the African diaspora. And there are certain cultures in the diaspora where a gap is a signal of sexual virility. And I'm just gonna leave it there is where I'm going to leave it with you. Um, so I am a, I am a pro gap person. Um, okay. Oh, and I'm about to talk about a Black Panther. If you like Black Panthers, read those love letters from, from George Jackson to Angela Davis, where he used to tell her he wanted to put his tongue in her gap. Y'all like, listen, they, Hey, I'm listen. There's some revolutionary gap thirst out there in these streets. If read the prison letters of George, George Jackson was an amazing revolutionary, so you should be reading his work anyway. But if you're a little bit of smutty, okay, yeah, you're like, I want to lick that gap. And I was like, well, all right now, okay, wake it up, okay, George Jackson. I am here for horny revolutionaries, okay. So, on that topic of horny and revolutionaries, top of my list is Huey P. Newton. When I made this outline, I said to Solomon, I gave Huey P. Newton as a reference because if you have not seen that picture of a topless Huey P. Newton in his prom with that afro, the afro's a little bit askew, but he's still fine. Or, you know, Huey in like the wicker chair, the black people wicker chair that a lot of black family homes had in the 70s. 
Huey P. Newton is fine, y'all. I would, I know that 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 Dr. Newton struggled in the 90s, and I am here to say that I would get in my time machine and I would save him from the evils that took him away from us too soon. Um, I know that he was not a perfect leader. You know, you you do enough research for the Panthers. The Panthers is like any other organization that's influenced by the society in which we live in. There is misogyny, there's all that good stuff. But I'm just I so I want to acknowledge that because I I try to acknowledge the warts, the flaws, and all. But no, I lo- I lust deep in my soul for Huey P. Newton. So Huey P. Newton would be top of my list. Um, also, uh, a young Robert De Niro. We already know he's into black women, and if you have seen The Godfather, he's fine. So, yep, I would I would I would go ahead on and hop in my time. Yeah, yep, I'm 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 collecting Huey, and I'm collecting Young De Niro. Um, if you have not watched, um, what? Oh my God, I'm trying to remember the movie she's in. But there is a gorgeous black actress by the name of Tamara Dobson, who is now, she has since passed away, but she was like one of my first crushes because she was this gorgeous black woman. She was brown. She had an afro. She is the moment, and I'm trying to think of what black exploitation exploitation movie she was in because it was Cleopatra Jones. She was Cleopatra Jones. Cleopatra Jones, Tamara Dobson. I'm getting in my time machine and I'm pitching woo to Tamara Dobson because she's fine. Just just Google it and y'all will be like, you know what? Jocelyn made a point. She ain't wrong. And I'm also going to get in my time machine to revisit another gorgeous black actress who is also like always like, a, oh my gosh, she's so pretty. Diane Carroll. Like, Fine. Fine as hell. So that's my list, y'all. That's it. Had some fun. I just wanted to... Listen, you give me a time machine. I'm using my time machine. I'm not, you know... I'm I'm going back. I'm going way back. And I'm Dirty Mac and I'm doing whatever. Like, Victimone, you ain't got nothing on me, Victimone. I'm taking Diane Carroll from you, you know? Shout out to Rush Hour and Victimone Jr. Jr. Okay, so... Ships Ahoy. Solomon, let's get into it. I don't think it's a stretch to say that some people had very strong reactions to Carmi and Claire. And uh, and for some folks, those those feelings were driven about where they stood on Carmi potentially exploring a relationship so soon or based on sort of how they, you know, maybe feelings that they have about Carmi and Sid. Now, obviously, the writers threw another complication into that because, as you've noted in this final episode, Marcus ask Sid out and we see this this lovely intimate bond between these two over the course of the season. Solomon, let's let's see if we can get these babies. Let's let's see if we can call the ship is home from war. Um but let me just start. Maybe we we might be like it might be a few rounds of war before we call them home. But let me just start off by asking you, what did you think about Carmi and Claire? Uh I think that Carmi has had more like uh, there was more sexual attraction or really just connection between Carmi and an egg waffle and player. It was there was literally like like cousin had more like connection and chemistry with Claire than, than Carmi did. Listen, 
I'm glad somebody said it, child, because it needed to be said. And and I temperature checked this with my mom because I'm like, you have nothing, you don't, you have no skin in this game. And she's like, I don't understand what what is this girl here? I'm like, okay, so it's not just me. And it's not Claire's fault. No, no, it is no slight to the actress, and it's no slight to the character. Yeah, for sure. Right. So they just didn't give her any. They didn't. They didn't. They didn't build chemistry into that relationship. No, and it's oil rather than a uh, a romantic interest or partner. Yes, and it's super noticeable on a show like this that is so otherwise very well written and where character introductions, despite all of the bitching I did about uh, fishes, I would go 10 toes down for the inclusion of all those characters and the actors that portrayed them before I would go for Claire. Um, uh, so I'm going to just keep it a bean, and it's, there, some folks might turn it off at this point, but I don't ever want to see Claire again. I'm, I'm going to just... I'm, that's just how I that's how I feel. If I if we see her, I want it to be her saying goodbye as she leaves Chicago forever to take an emergency room doctor role at a place that is far, far away. I want her off the canvas for season three. I don't object to Carmi finding love. I don't even object, even though I do it, I acknowledge the chemistry that people are seeing between Jeremy and Io. I don't even object to to Carmi finding love with someone else. But I did not like a single thing about this relationship with with Claire. I think part of my problem is it is so deeply entangled in his complicated family dynamic. It's so deeply entangled in issues that Carmi needs to work through about his past. And so even though I think in his heart of hearts, Carmi wanted to genuinely like Claire, Ma'am, he gave you the wrong number for a reason. And it's, yes, part of it is because he has issues with being loved. But it it's speaking to something deeper. Um, I like a good story of a high school crush. I don't mind people reconnecting and finding new paths. But that's not what that felt like here. It felt like Harmy was trying to get the satisfaction that something from his past Solomon, you touched on this earlier about needing to control things. When you are smack dab in the middle of a landscape of chaos and you are trying to find things where you feel like if I do everything right and I maintain control of this, it will be soothing and satisfactory to me and help maybe give me a much needed sort of, you know, we talk about the valve release that I need from the past that we see in the Fishes episode. Um, But that's it. Listen, he lost Mickey. His mom is still a mess. I see all of the reasons to be drawn to Claire. But I want Carmen to heal. And I, I want him to be in relationship for the right reasons, not to retcon past traumas. And that's what Claire felt like. I also really had a problem and I don't think that I fully understood the choice of the writers where it's like you see it happening in the past and you see it happening in the present where like random people who love and care about Carmi are like, yeah, Claire, Claire, Claire is so good. You deserve Claire. Claire says, I'm like, this is putting a whole lot of pressure on Claire. Like, let's let Claire be whatever Claire is going to be. Let's not make, like, it's one thing for Carmi 
to hang all of these things on what Claire is. But it did not feel good to watch other characters also kind of putting this weight on her. Like, oh, she's good. Oh, you deserve this, Carmi. You deserve her. It's like, I feel like there's a, there's a way to reaffirm him and encourage him and, and help him realize that he is not, you know, he, he doesn't necessarily need to end up being his mom without putting it all on Claire and without all of these weird comments about Claire's good. I love Claire. I made Claire happen. You need to, Claire's a good thing. It's like, but is she though? I don't know. Like I haven't, y'all haven't shown me shit. It's like everything about it feels performative and symbolic. And so it's hard for me to get on board with it. I've said a lot. I'm going to stop right there. What say you, Solomon? Uh, Yeah, they didn't earn it. They they gave it to us, but it, nothing was. Earned. So, Thank you. Um, if if like if he's gonna do it, if they're gonna like write a romance aspect or like perspective of his story, they gotta earn it. He has to earn it. He has to do like the work. And you know, it was just like given to. I mean, another part about it is like <clears throat> there were ways to make him. One thing that I see in like property sometimes is that even in anime, they don't allow their characters to be sexual. Right. So, and because this is doing anime, he he wasn't sexual. He wasn't a sexualized person. He was like a, a fixture to help people realize their own unrealized potential. Yep. Hey, but in season two, let's give him a, like, arc for romance and an arc for intimacy but you didn't you didn't like actually write it you just like put her there and you like but then you made her an enemy so the the antagonist of Carmi in this season was his like this tension between him the restaurant and Claire. And yeah. that, that just wasn't the case. Yeah. And then I think the other layer on it, at least for me as a, a viewer, that may just mean more salty is because as I mentioned before, I would have liked more Ebra. I would have liked more sweeps. And so like every unnecessary scene where I'm having to like delve into Claire and this Carmi Claire nonsense that, that to your point hasn't been earned. I'm like, yeah, this is time that I could have spent with Ebra. This is time that I could have spent with sweeps. So I was already annoyed and now I'm annoyed on another level because it's like you're forcing something and I love I love the the it's it was not earn. Solomon, where do you stand on Sid Carmi? Because I was a little bit confused. So before this season started, they did an interview and the writers were like, You are not gonna see any romantic things between Sid and Carmi. And a lot of fans who are anti-Sid and Carmi, folks that would prefer them to be this amazing platonic friendship, which I think is a valid desire. I mean, good Lord knows, as someone that's watched countless seasons of Grey's Anatomy, I wish the writers on that show would embrace platonic friendships. But it's, you know, I, but I see the chemistry. I, you know what I mean? Like, I'm not, I, I see the chemistry. And so it just, 
I hear what the writers are saying, but I also think that the anti Sid Carmi ship, you know, anti Sid Carmi people are wrong. Like, yes, the writers said they said season two. This could still be like a serious, hot, slow burn. I will say the Marcus factor, I was like, okay, I don't know what we're doing here, but there are literal scenes where. And particularly, I think it's in the last episode, and you even see it towards the beginning, where Carmi is sort of, you feel like he's lost. And it always feels like the person that centers him and and sort of brings him back is Sid. And I'm going to I'm going to say as someone who consumes fiction and smut and 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 you know the fanfics and just shows generally. Yeah, I'm usually the person that's like hold their heads together, like now kiss. Like I, I am that person, despite the fact that I celebrate and and embrace platonic friendships. But I will never, I would never begrudge the people that see that connection as being something more than that, or as a as a signal to something more than that. But Solomon, where are you? Where are you on Sid and Carmi? Yeah, I, I bet it. Yeah, because she's okay. The only way that I could be that I could be okay with it is if they were on equal footing. Mm-hmm. And at this point, they're not. And I don't know what it would take for them to act for, like, for Sid to find like equality of position within their dynamic. She she's like she came to Carmi as um like as mentee mentor. Yes. And I think that kind of front loads uh, a bit of um un- unhealthy um dynamic into their relationship. So I can't really go up for that. I just like I can't go up for her and Marcus, even though I think it's cute. I just I think that they just need to like leave everybody alone. I completely agree, and I think that's where I struggle. I there's a there is a even with like the choice, you know, when you know she teases him about the jacket, and then in the end things turn around and he gives her her version of the chef's coat with her initials on. Like all of that feels to your point, like. Mentor, mentee. I don't. It as romantic as well. I, I, I think that's fair, but it's like because I love Sid. There's part of me that's like, if they're gonna go there, I want her to shift out of fangirl mode. And there are still pieces of their dynamics, even with that coat, even though it felt like it could be coded romantically. There's still this undercurrent of like fangirl to it that. Listen, I just recorded an episode yesterday on Pitch, and there is absolutely a fangirl turned, oh my God, I want these two characters together dynamic on Pitch. It can absolutely happen, and it's it. there is certainly the groundwork is there, but I would want, to your point, I, I would want to turn the corner and and for her to be in a position to feel, to 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 view him more as an equal um, who inspires her kind of like the way Luca like you know what I mean if the dynamic is more like Luca you know like I am assured in who I am and what I do I appreciate the role that you played in me 
pushing myself, but now I do my own thing. You send your people to me. And so for me, I'm like, if this works, I only think this works in a context where they're not professionally connected to each other. And I I have similar feelings about her and Marcus. I just, to your point, Sid is so... She, I think more than anyone, is going to be super conscious about what it would mean to bring messy entanglements into the workplace. And she's so tightly wound that I don't see her being the one that's going to give in to whimsy. That being said, I still low-key felt like Sid felt away when she realized that Carmi had a girlfriend. I think part of it was frustration, but I think part of it was her feeling a certain way. So we'll see. We've talked about Sid and Marcus and kind of, you know, we've touched on what we think about them, but anything else? I, I, listen, I thought what they did made sense, but it still doesn't work for me for the reasons we've discussed because they work together. And, and they're actually the platonic relationship that I love. And I was, I, I don't know why I was surprised when he asked her out, but I was kind of surprised because I, frankly, I don't know that I was clear on sort of what Marcus's relationship with Chester was. And so I think for me, it was just a surprise when he asked her out. Um, yeah, I get it. But like that girl real bad. So it, it is what it is. Yeah. He, <laughs> and she cooked for him. Yeah, she he liked that. Like and and she's and she's been his rock during you know the stuff with his mom. It all makes sense on paper. And I and I want to be clear when I say we didn't know what was happening between between Marcus and Chester. We really did not like. I didn't know if they were friends. I didn't know if the, it was more than that. But there's also a universe in which Marcus dates Chester and Marcus dates Sid. So I I don't want to like sound like I'm being like oh it's either one or the other, but. I mean, because Chester loves him so much. Another beautiful platonic friendship. But yeah, I was just like, I, a little surprised, but I'm like, okay, it all tracks. The foundation is there. I mean, you talk about what's earned and what's not earned. That was actually, I do think it was earned from what we saw in terms of their bond and their connection with each other. Now, earned, should I think that, because again, it's navigating the professional relationship workplace dudes and women always have and come up on the short end of the stick when it comes to that, it comes to that so I get it yeah yeah when I say earn not in earn like oh they should be together but maybe I should say the foundation was there it was not a shock when he asked her out I was like okay I get it but to your point Part of their dynamic is Sid doing a lot of the heavy lifting and the labor to support Marcus. Because I don't know that we see it the other way around, right? We don't see, I mean, other than she clearly enjoys his companionship, but we have not seen sort of the reversal from, you know, if we do it a flow chart, we've not seen the flow from Marcus to Sid that we've seen from we've seen from Sid to Marcus. It's true. And interestingly, I think there's similar issues in the flow chart between Carmi and Sid, but it is interesting, isn't it only Carmi that finally like understand that like finally knows that Sid's mom isn't alive? Mm-hmm. Which, if I'm a shipper, I'm putting that in my basket of evidence. 
I still don't know. I just feel like the writers have done a really good job at sort of laying a groundwork where things could go in certain directions. But I think they've also laid the groundwork for why things should not go in certain directions, which leads me to my last question, Solomon, which is, should we invite the shippers to come home from war and find peace with each other by shipping Tina and Ibra? <laughs> and I mean that kind of tongue in cheek, but it's like, if you need a pair to get behind, I think you should be getting behind Natalie and her husband because he really is like an amazing partner. And I, I feel like they just give him so much shit. But, you know, if, if it's not satisfactory enough for you to get behind an actual couple, I mean, what are the other possibilities here? I think that there is a possibility for relationships to be romantic but not intimate. Mm-hmm. I think that more than anything, if I'm going to look at the dynamics of romantic but not intimate, Tina and Ibra are probably on the highest level of this is a romantic uh, relationship, but it is not physically intimate. And I, I, I could think, I, and I'm okay with this staying there. Yes. Yes. I am too. So, you know, um, do your fanfic about them, folks. I don't know what's going to happen with, Car- with Carmi, Sid, Carmi, whatever her name is, whose name I, f- I refuse to commit. Sid, Marcus. I mean, write your fix about all of them. Send them to me. Email them to me. We're closing up. So, Daniel, start that closing music. And on that note, if you've got some, some, if you got some good, delightful smut inspired by the bear on over on AO3. Shout out to the AO3 creators. Send it to me, morewinepod at gmail.com. You can also send your longer feedback about this episode or any other episodes over there as well. As always, thank you for listening to this week's episode of I'm Gonna Need More Wine. If you haven't already, subscribe and listen wherever you listen to podcasts. Um, Solomon, again, I just thank you, thank you, thank you for being here. Do you have any closing thoughts, um, farewells, whatever you want to say to our listeners before we wrap it up? Um, I am so glad to be back on here. So hopefully uh, we get to come back and do this for season three. Uh, but thank you, Jocelyn, for inviting me. And thank you, everybody out there, for listening to us talk for almost, again, three hours. Yeah, oh my- yeah we did it again. I, I, The devil is a lie, and apparently so am I. Um, so, yes. So but thank you. I- Best show on TV. <laughs> Thank you for joining me to talk about the best show on TV. You always have an open invite. You are my official expert on the bear. But if there's ever anything you watch and you're like, I want to talk about this, my folks know, just tell, just like DM me, email me, like, I want to talk about this. I'll have you back on. And in fact, Solomon, I, it took a lot of restraint. We don't follow each You don't, I don't think, I follow you on my personal account. But there are so many times where you talk about things we've talked about in this show. And I'm like, see, Solomon, this is why we get along. Because guys, we have episodes on shows that you should be watching. You know what show you should be watching? Even though it didn't get renewed for a third season? Grand Crew got two whole episodes about Solomon, this is a wine podcast run by a black woman. You think I wasn't going to do episodes about Grand Crew, about a, uh, a group of black friends who drink wine? The synergy is there. 
Guys, I've got episodes about Grand Cru Season 1. I've got episodes about Grand Cru Season 2. I am, I will be forever salty that it didn't get renewed for a third season, but that should not stop you from watching it. You know what else you should be watching that I've done recent episodes on? If you are not watching Righteous Gemstones, you are not living your best life. And guess what? I have got a pilot project episode all about the pilot episode of Righteous Gemstones. Candy joined me and we talked about, one, why the pilot is amazing, and two, why you should be watching that series because it is spectacular. I frankly wholeheartedly just recommend the entire Danny McBride universe. Like, do Righteous Gemstones, but then do Vice Principles. And yeah, do Eastbound and Down. Eastbound and Down is probably my least favorite but again, this is like me talking about the fishes episode. I'm talking about variations between good and great. I'm not talking about variations between terrible, awful, and great. Like, they're all amazing. And as I mentioned um, in our episode, what was what were we talking about? Oh, my God. I can't remember what we were talking about. But it was psych. I think it was psych. And I was talk talking about how, like, there's certain creators who I think do this really good job at creating universes in which they function that are just diverse. And it's not like, you know, it's not over the top, but it's like, hey, I function in an environment where, yeah, there are black people around. Danny McBride does a really good job at that. And so check out Righteous Gemstones. Check out that episode. I've also done episodes on Scandal Pilot, uh, the Psych Pilot. Uh, you know, we did a season two wrap up of Abbott Elementary. I've already told you guys, if you, you don't even have to like Wu-Tang, you should be watching that Wu-Tang series. I did an episode on that with Candy. I mean, we have a delicious buffet of offerings for you that you can find at morewinepod.buzzsprout.com. Thank you for listening. Oh, and Barry. We did a pilot episode on Barry. How can I forget Barry? If we, after you finish the Danny McBride universe, watch Barry because Barry is amazing. Daniel, shout out to you. I love you, my podcast editor. Daniel hadn't watched Barry. He listened to our podcast episode on the Barry pilot and then watched Barry. And, and, and it warmed my heart when Daniel was like, okay, I watched the whole thing and it was great. And I'm like, I would never leave our people astray. Like when I recommend things, I recommend them with my whole heart. So you need to be watching Grand Crew, watch Barry, watch Righteous Gemstones, watch Psych, watch, y'all all watch Scandal. I'm not even gonna say watch the Shondaverse shows. I've got more stuff on the Shondaverse shows coming. Thank you for listening. Wrapping it up. Solomon again, thank you so much. I'm going to link to all of Solomon's information in the show notes. Y'all be well, be safe. Solomon, thank you. And that's it. Bye, y'all. Bye. That's what I do. I drink. Audio Podcast Network.